0: Man and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass, and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ettrick
1: and Arisia had Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy?
0: Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him! He's also part of the DC Who's Who! Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com, along with me as always is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com.
1: How you doing, Rob? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited we get to talk about Dr. Psycho tonight. (laughs) <laughs> I'm excited for El Papagayo. <laughs> Every young man's dream come true gets to talk about El Papagayo.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, folks, we are back and we are here to talk about Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC universe. Yay. And we're dealing with volume um, number seven this time. Mm-hmm. Volume number seven. So – um just to give you a little bit of real quick history, um, those of you who have been listening to the show know this already, but those of you who might be new to the show.
1: Why are you starting now? Party. If you're new to the show, why? Are <laughs> exactly. You why, are you starting now?
0: Starting, why are you starting on episode seven? Really? <laughs> anyway, Who's Who uh, was a 26 issue series that was published across 1985 and 1986. It celebrated the 50th anniversary of DC Comics, so that's why it's, it's, it's almost like a big party. It's, you know, all your favorite characters are there. It ran parallel to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, and it's you know it's an alphabetical listing. This issue uh, we're going to cover the ends of the D's and the beginnings of uh, all the E's and the beginnings of the F's. So um, we're going to talk about the cover in a minute, and inside the book we'll talk about uh, the way those are laid out. And then um, you know what? We'll just jump to it. Let's uh, let's talk about the cover.
1: Yeah, the cover is by once again, like it was last issue, Paris Collins and Dick Giordano. Um, this is a uh, a fairly sparse cover compared to the other ones, and I have to think that's because in this issue, I think there's only one, to two, two uh, teams represented. Um, previous issues had a lot more teams, so you had a lot more groups. This only has the Doom Patrol and Easy Company. And um, actually, as I'm staring at this cover, I can't find the Doom Patrol on it. Oh, I see. Well, no, I see. I see Elastigirl. Well,
0: oh, Elastigirl, but she had her own entry in here yeah, as well.
1: But I, yeah, I don't actually see the Doom Patrol when I'm, I'm scanning this well, cover. I don't see them, so they're.
0: I guess that, I guess that makes sense though, because I mean
1: they got their own listings. The t- they only got their own separate right. listings, right?
0: They got their own individual listings, so you wouldn't list them, You wouldn't show right. them on like the cover. the
1: J volume doesn't have Justice League, so
0: exactly. so the only group
1: pictured is Easy Company, which is tucked away in the corner. So there's a lot of dead space on this cover. There's a lot of you know, dead blue space. Uh, here, but you know that's okay. Everybody's still having a good time. We see uh, um, Elastic Lad saying hi to Dolphin, which totally understandable on his part. Um, <laughs> you see, uh,
0: it took me—you know—it <laughs> you know, took me a while to figure out. Do you, a la, uh, dolphin is swimming inside a bubble, right, of, of water.
1: Yes, I guess so.
0: It, it took me a while to figure all this out. She's swimming inside a bubble of water. Do you know where the bubble of water is coming from? Enchantress. No, oh. Element Lad is creating it. He is. Yeah.
1: Oh, Check you're right. Out. You're right. You're right. He's zapping yeah. it. Yeah, yes. You're right. You can see the
0: it, it, beam It was out. a sort of perplexing sort of thing. It took me a yeah. long time to figure out what was really going on there.
1: 25 years of questions finally answered. I, I tell
0: you. You know, when you stare at this stupid thing long enough, it starts to make sense. I think my my, my, my... my favorite bit is where Dollman is about to hit Eclipso in the face with a number yeah. pencil. <laughs> That's good. Actually, a number five pencil in this case. Uh,
1: I think my <laughs> favorite bit is um, uh, the, uh, the bandito characters of El Papillago... And uh oh, who's the other? One? Oh, El Diablo, El, El Diablo on the horse. Oh. Oh. I, I think that's. But yeah. they look like they're having a good time.
0: And, and Don Caballero. And Don Caballero. Oh. They're
1: all like, Yee-haw! <laughs> I think That's good.
0: So. Well, I like how El Diablo looks so serious. The other guys are like hooping you know, it up. Yeah. <laughs> they,
1: they look having a good time. And then there's that creepy uh, earthworm and dummy sitting together on on the on the. Well, on the he's street. got his hand on his yeah. shoulder.
0: That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Creepy. So. I do. I do like Duo Damsel and Duplicate Boy, sort of like flirting there. That's and? cute. And then uh, here, there was one
1: more. Him. I never thought this would happen to me, but
0: oh my gosh! <laughs> now here is an interesting thing. Um, if you look at Elongated Man, those you can tell immediately that this is a Paris Collins drawing. You can tell by the eyes. There is something about Paris Collins' eyes; I, I can almost always recognize them. Now, do you flip to the back of the book, the backside, and you get Elastigirl, and her eyes actually don't look like Paris Collins' eyes? I found that fascinating. Okay. It's just Paris Collins. One of the tells for me with Paris Collins is always the eyes. And this one, I, if I looked just at Elastigirl, I'd never guess it was Paris Collins. So that may be the Dick Giordano sort of effect going on He there. drew
1: women very well, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was yeah. more affected by him.
0: The, uh, the other fun thing, of course, is that uh, Elongated Man and uh, elastic lad are all kind of wrapped up around each other sort of. Because, you know, stretchy characters always have to be doing goofy, funny yes. stuff. So they are. And uh, now the one Firestorm character on the cover, who is the Enforcer, took me forever to figure out what's happening to her. She's she's got all these weird bubbles of energy around her, and she looks all perplexed. And I was like, I couldn't figure out what was going on. It took me a long time to figure out. It's actually Enchantress on the other side of the cover. Oh blasting.
1: yes, 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 yes.
0: So it's, it's clever how they, how Paris Collins laid it out there. Very
1: way. nice. It's very nice. So, but it's a,
0: it's, cool. it's a fun cover. It's a fun cover. It's um, I think it sort of suffers like the last couple covers have been where the pencils are probably stronger than the inks like the inks looked like they were probably rushed and you made you made a good point last time I said that you said well dick jon was an extraordinarily busy guy <laughs> so like all the all the foreground characters are very clearly defined but the background characters are a little, a little loose yeah well, um, as we begin to uh, get into this, folks, by the way, we said, this, we said this is Volume 7, so its cover date is September 1985. So set your way back, Machines, folks, to June 20th, 1985 is when it actually hit the stands. And our thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Now, when you go inside the book, you're gonna, you would discover that there are absolutely no advertisements. That's what you get for your dollar. The fact that you paid a dollar for this comic in an era when comics were much cheaper... You get 32 pages of entries and no ads. That's pretty sweet. I I think that's great. I'd love to buy a comic with no ads nowadays.
1: That would be nice. Um, Not
0: even even house ads. It's so cool. So now our goal, as we're going to go through this, folks, is that our goal is that you don't have have to have the comic in front of you. You know, if you've got it, sure, bust it out, hang out with us, sit down by the fire and uh don't don't get the comic on fire that's not what i meant anyway and uh chill out you know and go through it with us but if you don't have it that's okay we're going to kind of describe it in such a way you won't need it in front of you but we are also going to post a handful maybe 10 entries or so over on our tumblr site uh rob you want to tell them about what our tumblr site uh, is? yes
1: that's fire and water awesome
0: so why don't we talk with the letters page and then we'll get into some
1: entries? Uh, yeah, the letters page. The, there's one uh, one letter writer asks about subscribing to Who's Who, and they they mention that uh, you can't subscribe to limited series, unfortunately. Um, this this guy also wants to subscribe to the Aquaman miniseries. So Jeff Hogue from Humboldt, Nebraska, you're a man after my own heart. I appreciate that. Um, Todd, uh, I can't really – the lettering is blend, blended together over the years. It looks like it says
0: – Blazing. It looks like it says
1: Todd Lasagna, frankly. from. It's pretty yeah. close. Uh, he asked where was Black Adam, which was one of the big uh, glaring mistake – not mistakes, but glaring omissions. who? And they say, as we explained once before, we were in the process of renegotiating for the rights of the Fawcett heroes when the series began. We were extremely sad to miss including Black Adam, one of the most interesting of the earth S villains. He'll be included, along with most other Captain Marvel villains, in the Monster Society of Evil entry.
0: Yeah, the piece. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. There's something else I want to okay, talk about. George
1: O'Leary asks about Beowulf, and they say, well, basically, Beowulf was just an adaptation of the classic poem, and it doesn't really fit their universe. He's not really a character they own so much, so... The, the, and this is where they mentioned that they're never con- they're not going to list the licensed characters like uh, Captain Action or the Masters of the Universe. <coughs> Except for Atari Force. Oh, that's right. Well, that's right. That's just- I don't know if they own the Atari
0: Force characters outright or not.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then uh, this guy named Robert something-something asks about who's going to be drawing the listings for the teams. Because this was back when uh, the Outsiders and the Legion of Superheroes and the Teen Titans each had two sets of titles. Um, and uh, I don't know why he needed to ask I could just wait and find out and, But they talk about this <laughs> It'll be different artists handling, handling Different things so.
0: Well I want to go back to George Larry's letter for a second That He says he read in an, uh, an Amazing Heroes Interview or preview for Who's Who That Len Wein uh, Said that The ultimate criterion for inclusion In Who's Who was to set Every straight character who had ever Appeared under his own logo so I guess the idea was if anyone ever had their own series, that's why they're in Who's Who. Right. So, you know, something like Brother Power the Geek that had two, t- two issues in the 60s and that was it, well, he had his own title at one point, so therefore he's in here. Now, I'll, we'll put this to the test if uh, Prez yeah. is in here. I don't remember if Prez makes it into Who's Who or not. I,
1: I didn't think he did, uh, but one of the, another big glaring omission, which they haven't mentioned to this point, will be Angel and the Ape. They forgot to list Angel and the Ape, and Angel and the Ape got their own series. The, the, yeah. the missing Angel and the Ape will become a regular gag through the Who's Who letter columns because they basically get a letter every single issue about Angel and the Ape, and the editors get increasingly aggravated by having to point out that they, forgot, <laughs> they literally just forgot Angel and the Ape.
0: That's funny. So. All right, folks, well, we're going to get started in here. Now, a couple different things to tell you about the way these pages are set up. Um, each, each entry is a page, and you get uh, a piece of artwork, and then you get a lot of text. The artwork features the, the main character prominently in full color. And the background is uh, sort of background detail of the character. It gives you um, maybe some sort of – it visually tells you their history or shows you some of their powers or tells you something about the character. It's a lot of little different drawings usually. And usually um, they try and show the character without their mask. In the background as well. That's usually uh, one of their criteria Is you see the character with a mask in the foreground, ma- no mask in the background. And that, that background is a single color, and Rob has made up a word for it called surprint, <laughs> which has now been proven to us that is not yeah, it's accurate sin- usage sin- of that word anyway, but it's become part of our lexicon, so we're going to keep using and it.
1: Color hold would be fine, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, on the, and then the text piece gives you sort of like almost an. Uh, encyclopedia or baseball card version, you know, gives you their name, their occupation, their marital status, known relatives, group affiliation, base of operations, first appearance, you know, height, weight, hair color, all that stuff. Um, then it gives you their history, and then it goes into their powers and weapons. Now, right as we're getting into this issue, Rob, I wanted to mention something. I noticed a couple different things about this issue. Th- this is a very unusual issue compared to the previous ones we've already looked at. Um, first of all, there's not a lot of big, big name characters. Well, I
1: have, I have a, something related to that. But go on; we'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay.
0: All right, and then I'll, I'll hold the rest of my comments on that. The other is, I don't know whether it was an active effort with this issue or what, but there are a lot of new artists that show up in this issue. Like, uh, there's folks here that used to work for Warp Graphics and never had never worked for DC until this issue. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of different people who come in for the very first time to draw in this uh, this particular issue, or work on a character they never worked on before. And I'll mention that as we go through each one. And the last bit, which I found really fascinating that I sort of stumbled across by accident, really, when I realized it, is there are very, 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 very few masks in this issue.
1: <laughs>
0: Darn near every single person in this comic doesn't
1: wear a mask. You really studied this one.
0: <laughs> well, I, well, I was thinking about the thing, and we're in the foreground... They have the mask, and in the surprint or color hold, there's no, you know, they get to see their natural face. We keep flipping, no one's wearing a mask. I mean, there's just a bare handful of people wearing masks. I thought that was really interesting. Okay. So, all right. Well, did you want to say whatever your thing was? Yeah, there, well, the little, you want to, no,
1: the little fact that I had was I was curious if, because, as you see in the cover, the main character is the elongated man, which means you're going to have a lot of heavy hitters here.
0: Um, well, I would say your your main character is the elongated man, and your subsequent characters are as many Legion characters as they could right. squeeze on the on the first right. panel.
1: <laughs> so these, yeah, so making by the fact that the elongated man is is your big guy, this is a pretty minor issue in terms of marquee names. So I was curious uh, about uh, whether that affected sales or not. Uh, whether you know, these issues went down, that, you know, did they go up when you know, Superman was the main character or Batman was the main character? So I asked Robert Greenberger, who was an associate editor of Who's Who and one of the researchers, and this was his response. During the days of Who's Who, it was practice of the sales and marketing department under Bruce Bristow to never share sales information with the line editors. As a result, if there was a dramatic sales fluctuation, we were never informed. When we needed to grow from 24 to 26 issues, no one blinked an eye and approved it and approved it, telling me there was strong enough sales to support the move. So there you go. So uh, so the, while they didn't know what issues, you know, how the issue sold um, from issue to issue, obviously the book was a big enough success that, uh, that you know, that uh, they went from 24 to 26 issues, no problem. So I'm betting there was a bit of a lull with this issue just by the fact that it is, you know, one of the lesser light, Issues, but obviously, uh, the series kept on going, did pretty well.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say, uh, given that we're almost sitting here at 30 years later, and there's people tuning in for this podcast, says that clearly the sales were strong and it's still beloved after all these years.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So let's roll into this. Here it is, Rob, your big entry, the one you're excited about.
1: <laughs> yes, Dr. Psycho. Uh, art by Stephen Stefano, who is the co-creator of Amazing Man, of course, and Inksburg, Bruce Patterson. I guess they figured he's a little person, and Stephen DiStefano was good at drawing little people, so let's have him do it. <laughs> so,
0: was, ama- was Amazing Man even around by this yes. point?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Amazing Man appears in Who's Who. So. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was an update. No, no, no. He's in it. So, Dr. Psycho was an old-time uh, Wonder Woman villain. Actually, there are two versions of Dr. Psycho. Um, they didn't really bother much like they did with the Cavalier. I think they figured giving two pages to this minor villain is probably a little too much. So they just they just morphed the character into one listing. The Golden Age version first appeared in Wonder Woman number five, and the modern version appeared in Wonder Woman number two eighty nine. So
0: that's amazing. He goes all the way back to Wonder Woman number Number five.
1: five. That's nineteen forty one. That's a long time.
0: That's crazy.
1: Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about this character. Other than, I. this is the character I think about when I read years later why um, Bob Rosakis ended his amaz- uh, the Ask the Answer Man column. Remember? I used to love that column. We would be old DC yeah. trivia. And he was asked once, why did it go away? And he said that over time, the questions just got so obscure that it just felt like they provided no information for anybody anymore. And the question that he gave as the example of the obscure questions was, did the Earth 2 Dr. Psycho wear gloves? That was was the question. Now, he may have (laughs) have made that question up, but that was the thing that I always remembered about this character was somebody might have written in asking about, did he wear gloves? And that was the death knell of the Ask the Answer Man column.
0: Oh, my gosh. So,
1: thank you, Dr. Psycho. Thank you for that. It's a nice listing. It's it's a nice cartoony drawing. I mean, Stephen Stefano is a great artist, so... It's it's a nice listing.
0: Okay, just for the record, Amazing Man did appear in Who's Who, but he had been created at this point. He was still about three months away from appearing in a DC comic. So obviously, he was probably you know Stephen DeStefano was already on staff because he's probably getting you know they're probably ramping up for the Amazing Man book in three months. But, um, so that may have played, you're right, maybe the little people thinks why he got the job, but it's interesting, Amazing, amazing Man hadn't hit the shelves All yet.
1: Okay.
0: Now, he, um, previously he had done stuff with, like, House of Mystery and New Talent Showcase, so he was still, I guess, um, if he's doing New Talent Showcase, he must have been still pretty new to the DC realm. Yes. Yes. And, uh, now the weird thing to me about this character is the Captain Wonder aspect of yes. the character. He created a, a false identity called Captain Wonder to battle Wonder Woman. And if the Serpent is to be believed, I mean, he looks a lot like a male himbo version of Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, it's kind of disturbing.
0: <laughs> so Now, and of course, Dr. Psycho has gone on in post-crisis to be a major player in the Wonder Woman universe, you know, with the Infinite Crisis and the, the Secret Society or whatever, the Society or whatever they were called. So, yeah. All
1: right.
0: That's all I got on that? Right.
1: Next up is Dr. Regulus from – he's a Legion da. of Superheroes villain a wonderful drawing by Pat Roderick i mean really very very uh, dynamic and i love the um i love the colors um c- using the contrasting colors of the orange and the gold con- and contrast with the purple background very very nice image i have nothing to say about this character i don't know anything about him other than he's a legion villain <laughs> he looks really cool he's bald uh and uh he's got kind of a dull logo and he likes to float around on rocks and that's about it <laughs> Well, I, I, I got
0: a little bit to say. I mean, I read his origin. He's, he's sort of like Superboy's Lex Luthor. Right, I'm sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Sunboy. He's Sunboy's Lex Luthor. And if you read it, he, it's kind of interesting that he's got a really classic origin. You know, it's, his origin and Sunboy's origin are totally tied together, and that's why they, you know, that's why he ate Sunboy. And that's kind of a cool, I like that sort of traditional supervillain origin. And now, I was wondering why, uh, why Brad, Broderick drew this, and uh, I didn't realize it. But he had been drawing Legion from time to time. So, in fact, he had drawn Regulus back in 1982 in Legion number 286. So, he uh, he had a connection with this character already.
1: Okay.
0: I don't know about your copy, but mine in the Surprint, the purple was created with blue and pink. And they, uh, unfortunately, in my version, the printing didn't match up perfectly. So, it's a little blurry and looks like one of those 3D comics. Huh.
1: No, no. Because it looks...
0: looks like red. Yours is yeah, matched up perfectly. Fine. Yeah, so like... It, everything's got like a double effect oh, okay. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Somebody
1: bumped the machine when you, uh, when you got yours Exactly uh, Next up is Doctor 13 Who uh, had his own series in Star Spangled Comics For many, many years But now is mostly known as kind of like a side character To the Phantom Stranger because um, he was always sort of a, a thorn in the Phantom Stranger's side He was never believing the stranger and always sort of trailing after him in a sort of Scooby-Doo-like manner um, The listing is by Tony DeZanaga and it's a, it's a nice piece It's a nice piece, it's a kind of uh interesting design You get to see the Phantom Stranger there in the background, which is great um, And you see him with his papers and his pipe looking skeptical Which is pretty much what Dr. 13 was all about
0: <laughs> I like his. Uh, I like his name, the Ghostbreaker. ghostbreaker.
1: <laughs> He's a heartbreaker, he... risk taker, Ghost Breaker.
0: That's right. Now he had interesting gaps in his history. Like uh, he was around 1951 to 52, and then didn't come back until 1969. Right. See, he was he was gone for a long yes. time. Then, like you said, got caught tied in with uh, Phantom Stranger. And now uh, Tony does. DeZin- De... Gosh, why why do I have trouble with this last name? Does Dezenica? De okay, he. um... He also drew the Phantom Stranger strip. Right. Which is why he did this Dr. 13 issue, our drawing. Now, do you know who Dr. 13's daughter is?
1: I should know this, but I don't. Who is it?
0: I didn't know this. His daughter is, drum roll please, Tracy 13, who went on to be uh, the girlfriend of, I think it was Blue Beetle in Teen Titans a few years ago. Oh,
1: well, okay. Totally, totally. Yeah, she. It.
0: I, I, well, I didn't know either. I'd been reading the Superman titles, and this this Magic Girl showed up called named Tracy Thirteen, and I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, whatever, Tracy Thirteen. So that's a, it's a funky name. And the, thir- the thirteen was done as the number, not a spelled out word. And uh, I didn't think anything of it, but it turns out that she is in fact um, Doctor Thirteen's daughter. Okay. So
1: he's been brought into the New Fifty Two. He just made an appearance in the um, New Phantom Stranger book, and they've sort of recast him as like a. Um, ghost hunter kind of guy like the like from that show on sci-fi network which makes perfect sense
0: oh really that's cool yeah
1: it's it's a neat twist i mean it's the same basic character but just a little bit of a more modern tweak which yeah again makes total sense he's younger he's a little scrungier and he's just one of these guys who's just sort of driving around the country trying to uh although he believes he's he's not as skeptical like he's seen what's going on so he's he's not so much of a ghost skeptic as he is kind of a ghost chaser
0: dude i totally didn't realize this um Doctor Thirteen played a big role in Flashpoint because Tracy Thirteen plays a big big role in Flashpoint. In fact, she kind of had she didn't quite have she didn't slow down she had her
1: own <laughs>
0: she had her own series sort of during Flashpoint, but it wasn't called it. That. It, it it was I don't remember it was Flashpoint the world of Flashpoint. She was the like the main character in that. Okay. Anyway, her dad was a main sort of antagonist in the book in, in the Flashpoint world. And I, now I realize that that was Dr. 13.
1: You okay. How cool is that? He's done pretty well for himself, considering how kind of visually dull he is.
0: Right. He has very little yeah. text, too. He look, Honestly, he looks like Professor Stein with a pipe.
1: Yes. He does. <laughs> um, next up, one of the best listings in terms of the art, uh, Dr. Zinzin, drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz. And this, he was a <sharp inhale> Batman villain. kind of looks like Fu Manchu. Um, a decent amount of text, but really the drawing is the thing that's selling this. The drawing is just... Just gorgeous. I mean, just it's just one of the best ones. I think who's who ran. I love his pose. He looks like he's ready to slice you open with that giant sword. Of they get the cool background with the creepy snake and the logo and the the claws and the karma sign, Everything. It's just a great, great piece.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say it's probably um, one of the best entries of the book, without a doubt. It's absolutely the best logo of the book. For each character, we haven't mentioned this, but for each character they designed a logo. If one didn't already exist. Right. And uh, without a doubt, this is the. Best, I've gone through them all. This is the best logo of the book, and um, it's really strange that Billson St. Kevin drew this because he had no connection to this character whatsoever. I did some research on it; nothing. So, but I'm, I'm glad he did. It came out really nice, and I do like in the print uh, that he list. I, I always get a kick out of this. He list Cape Crusader, both capitalized, and then later Masked Manhunter, also capitalized.
1: <laughs> Copyrights uh. all those.
0: It's interesting, kind of. It's an Oriental character, I mean, that's kind of their shtick, it, you know, he's, he's supposed to have an Oriental uh, attitude and all this stuff, but he's actually an American orphan, and he went on, got mixed up with, uh, I think it's the Tong, isn't that who he got involved with? Something like that. Um, something, something along, you know, yeah, it was the Tong, and uh, then got himself in some trouble with them, and so then he's kind of on the skids with them, and he anyway, deals with Batman, so. there's an interesting origin, and if Sienkiewicz had drawn those issues, I'd be interested in reading them.
1: Uh yes absolutely and uh, just a little bit of an art note here if you look closely at Dr. Zinzin's – like the tunic he's got you see that there's a a, a pattern uh, on the front yes. of the tunic it's sort of like a it's not stars it's like a, almost like a, fl- a flower pattern or something like that now if you look at it the flower pattern does not match the folds of the shirt it's it's on there flat um and that is kind of an abstracty thing that really kind of got started some time in comics right around this where it wasn't trying to look realistic. It, was, it wasn't trying to pretend that that, that that thing is following the folds of the shirt that it's on. It's, it's meant to be more abstract. And I, it's something that I use in my own work when I add patterns like that. I tend to like that flat kind of look to it as opposed to pretending it's it's really there and putting it in perspective and all stuff like that. And this is I've noticed here that this is something uh, Sienkiewicz is doing in this listing. Well,
0: let me ask you two different questions here. Um, well, one's not a question. One is just reiterating. So basically, what you're saying is the carpet doesn't match the drapes. But anyway... Um shaking my
1: head.
0: <laughs> But is, is this like um, You know, like maybe a... I, mean, I got my terminology wrong, but like a Zipatone thing maybe? Because if you look... The pattern is so intricate, but so exactly replicated. It almost yeah. looks like it's... An overlay it or probably
1: something. was. It, well, yeah, it probably was some sort of zip pattern that they dropped in because it's again it's done as a color hold. It's not drawn in an ink. But it said it's yep. it's applied in a flat manner. It's not then yeah. tweaked to make it look realistic. But the drawing isn't meant to be realistic. Nothing about Sinkevage's stuff is really particularly meant to be realistic. So um
0: You, you know what's interesting is the lines don't meet at the belt. Right. So they, they they either try to make it, you know, they either use two different pieces of it, like Zipatone stuff or whatever it is. Or uh, they tried to make it look like there was a, a break there. Yeah, anyway, wow, we're really into the details.
1: Yes, yes we are, <laughs> and we and we have to keep this episode short because last episode went on for about sixteen hours. So, gotta keep right. it short. Next is Dollman with a really creepy cat um, sticking his face into the drawing. <laughs> wow. Um, I always found it very distracting when they added like the background element, but put it in color because it doesn't it does it doesn't um. make Dollman look terribly imposing that he's about to be attacked by a kitty cat. So, but it
0: gives you a perspective of it, size. Well,
1: but I'm saying you could have done the cat in the color hold without making him full color. Uh,
0: I don't know that you would have realized the, 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 the relationship. Let's not argue so. about
1: Dollman. Um,
0: it's really not worth no, the No, it's not.
1: This is pr- and this is probably – the. It's drawn by Murphy Anderson. Um, this is probably the only listing I can think of where there's a dedication right on the yep. thing. And it's says dedicated with uh, greatest admiration to Lou Fine, Murphy Anderson. Lou Fine, of course, created Dollman. So it's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting that they let Murphy Anderson sort of like send a little message, a text message, to Lou Fine, who I think was not around anymore at that point. So uh,
0: I would assume that's why. Yeah, yeah, I, mean,
1: yeah. So, uh, I thought the, I thought it was. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, it's not. It just it's it's interesting, you know. It just it just sort of breaks the fourth wall a little bit of like, oh hey, there's this other message that one artist is sending to another on the page of this comic book.
0: Well, I don't know that there were a lot of um, artists that were gone from the world at this point, like. I mean, Siegel and Schuster, sure, or, or, but like... Mean
1: gone from I don't, the world?
0: Well, like, you know, Kirby was still around. Well, Siegel and, and
1: Schuster were still around.
0: Oh, were yeah, they? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Swan was still around. I mean, all these famous guys that, you know, established these characters were still around. So when you get to Lou Fine, he's one of the few ones that wasn't anymore. Yeah, okay. So, um, a couple oh. of interesting things about this character. I, I he, As you read through his origin, he was part of the Freedom Fighters. And then later on the
1: All-Star right. Squadron. He's not an original, originally a DC character.
0: Correct. But he goes from, I wrote this down because it was a pattern. And I was trying to unlock the Da Vinci code with it. But he goes, Earth-2, Earth-X, Earth-2, Earth-X, Earth-2, Earth-X, Earth-1, Earth-X. He literally, the story goes, explains how he goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between these worlds. It's like, blah, it's making my head spin. And then the only other thing I thought was worth mentioning is, apparently, somewhere along the lines, he developed psionic blasts. Which is just the biggest WTF moment for me. <laughs> this is like, what? Was that just one of those like George Reeves moments where they just add a power for no reason because it worked in the story and everyone forgets about it afterwards? It's like, what? <laughs> so I found that bizarre.
1: Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about Dolphin. Yeah, I know you're excited for the next Here episode. we go. Dolphin. Here we Dolphin go. Dolphin by Dave Stevens. Uh, I should have asked Bob Greenberger who who picked Dave Stevens because whoever picked Dave Stevens to do this deserved a raise. Uh, look, this is probably the best listing in the book. Probably one of the best, like what, top five listings in the whole series. It
0: is one of the top five in the entire series, and I would say it is the most memorable entry of the entire 26 issue. Oh,
1: that's saying something. Um, Well,
0: if you were a uh, 13-year-old boy reading this, it was the most memorable. And it it works
1: for several – it works on several levels. First of all, it got Dave Stevens further into the DC universe, which is great because he wasn't somebody that did a lot of DC stuff. I think he'd only pretty much done the Catwoman listening to this point. Um, It brought back a character that most people had never heard of. I mean, yes, she was in the forgotten – part of the, the Forgotten Heroes and stuff, but most people still did not remember her. So it was – and it was giving her the best possible presentation. I mean it really made this character look amazing. Um, I mean, she's gorgeous.
0: Yeah. She's, she's she's beautiful. It's very, very cold underwater. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I'm kind of surprised <laughs> they got away with that to be honest.
0: Right. Now, you're right. She only had a handful of appearances but she had appeared more recently in that Forgotten yes. Heroes. I mean that's really what got her in here. Yes. So yes. – uh, now. It's interesting that they kind of go back to her first appearance was in Showcase number seventy nine, and that issue is called "The Fantasy at Fourteen Fathoms," and you know they're really playing that up here. She is a fantasy girl. And in fact, there's a swimmer, who, there's a guy, a scuba diver looking at her who's just totally like, Arr! not because there's a girl underwater swimming. I promise you that it's because of how hot she is,
1: and she doesn't have any scuba tanks on and stuff like that. He's probably amazed. I
0: don't think they care. Okay. Got, I got a little more on this one, unless you got something.
1: The one quibble I have, and I just noticed this after so many years, her left arm is colored incorrectly.
0: Oh, my God. That's her elbow I w- there.
1: Uh, I was looking at her arm. Yes, I know. So. But that's her arm there. That's her elbow, and it's colored white. Because obviously whoever colored okay. it thought it looked like. Either the color just dropped out, or whoever colored it thought that was her hair. It's not her hair. It's her elbow.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Again, they weren't looking at her hair either. or I mean, her arm either. Uh, and I can promise you folks, Dolphin will be on the top part. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, a couple of things in this one. Again, they mention, uh, I, I, I mention this almost every episode, but again, in the origin, they talk about Superman and they say, see, the, see an entry for Superman. And they say, see Superman 2, which again, breaks my heart because <laughs> Superman of Earth Prime never gets an entry. So, But here's something more interesting that I don't know if you realize or not. I mentioned again, her first appearance was Showcase number 79, which was 1968. In that issue was a reprint of an old Aquaman comic. Do you know what Aquaman comic was reprinted in Dolphin's first issue?
1: I should. I used to have the comic. Which one was it?
0: Adventure Comics number 269, oh, which his was... Oh, the origin. No.
1: Yeah, was it... oh, no, what was it?
0: That's um, the first appearance of Aqualad. Oh,
1: okay, okay.
0: So, in this one comic, from 1968, is Dolphin's first appearance and a reprint of Aqualad's first appearance. And who did Dolphin eventually marry? Oh, the Aqualad. Kind of, uh, kind of interesting.
1: You know, it all comes together.
0: It's a full circle.
1: And she had a relationship with Aquaman as well, so she she worked the she worked the room.
0: I, I think everyone wanted a relationship with her.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a great listing. It's a great drawing. Uh, everything, you know, all right. It's like this is like probably what Who's Who was like most capable of in terms of you know bringing a character out of the past and presenting it in a new way that made it really compelling. And this is just like one of their, you know. The one of their all-time best moments. And, and you know, we,
0: we should be talking a little bit more about the character's origins, probably, like, they made it very clear, like, her origin's really unknown. It's basically, I mean, it's a whole lot of text about, she's a hot girl who they found un- that can breathe water, and no one really knows why. Right. So, <laughs> no one really seems to care. It's okay. <laughs> and they just talk more about her encountering the uh, forgotten heroes and forgotten villains, yes. so.
1: Fantastic. There's All right. logo, too. Uh,
0: it's uh, it's classic. It is as very my classic. Jer- yes, my, as my New Jersey friend would say. What? <laughs> I like the way you say classic. classic. There you go. So See, you, you, talking... you do when you're not paying oh, attention. You say. It. It.
1: Okay. All
0: right. So please. All right. Next. No. Wait. No. Wait. Wait. Does it bother you that in, in dolphins, sir? Print. I mean, in dolphins, front full color piece is some coral.
1: No, uh, I, there's something about I think the image just works better. That that cat popping in, photo bombing Dalmatian, just looks weird. Photo <laughs> so bombing Dalmatian. But I mean, it just looks—I don't know—it just looks weird to me. This this seems more kind of well designed. I hate to like slam Murphy Anderson against Dave Stevens, but Dave Stevens' speech just feels a little more, a little better composed. So sorry. Right. Um, next, I'm a little yes. close. Anyway. Next is Don Cavallo. Uh, <laughs> he was a fencing instructor. Was his. Uh, was his occupation. He's Inigo Montoya. He first appeared in All-Star Western number 58. I have nothing to say about this character. I don't know, other than he looks awesome. The art is by Bill Ray, who is mostly, I kind of more familiar as a humor artist. He did a lot of stuff for Mad Magazine. It's a great piece. It's really a nice drawing. And this is, again, this is one of those things that kind of makes me want to go find these issues, because he looks kind of cool and his history seems kind of cool.
0: He's kind of Zorro without the, uh, uh without Don Vega or whatever his name was, uh, Zorro's Secret right. Identity. He's, he's sort of like Zorro without the secret identity because uh, they never find out who he is. Now, it's I, it's funny. I did I did a little research here. Don Caballero, do you know what that means? Uh, no. Okay. It's, it's basically the gentleman, which uh, is kind of okay. cool. I do like okay. – uh, it talks about here he had a, a, a horse that he always rode named Caballo. You know what that means? No. Horse. Okay. Look, <laughs> so I don't know horse... Spanish,
1: so stop asking me. <laughs>
0: hey, I had to Google this stuff. Uh, he has a horse named Horse, which <laughs> cracks me up. Now, um, up. interestingly enough, you said Bill Ray did the drawing. You're correct.
1: Thank you. Now,
0: his first, his first appearance was actually drawn by Gil Kane, but do you know what Bill Ray's connection to the character is? No. He wrote the first appearance of okay. Don Caballero.
1: No. No, no. no.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. No. Back in 19... No. uh, No. All right. Okay. Okay. Breathe through your nose. No. Uh, No. No. Well, that's... I mean, I am going based on research I did. By the way, folks, if you ever wonder where Shag does all his research, I do my research... (laughs) I do my research from Comic Book DB, which is uh, the Comic Book database. It's a very useful site. According to this, All-Star Western number 58, which was... Uh, came out in 1951,
1: right. and Bill Ray was born in 1956.
0: Seriously? Then so this he was is a ma- really th- good
1: writer that he would manage to write a book five years before he was born.
0: How interesting! Because it lists him as the writer for this.
1: And...
0: Huh. Sounds like it, might... yeah, because you're right. Oh, you're absolutely right. Because you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it says he wrote this in 1951, and then he says he didn't do anything else until 1977. Yeah, so clearly, yeah. yeah. So obviously, uh, the comic book database needs to update their mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, now everyone knows where Shag does his research, and that apparently it can be flawed.
1: Oh man, did that feel good?
0: It it stings a little. <laughs> now in yours, what color is Don Caballero's eyes like in the drawing? Creepy red. I know the, Okay, see, I've got one
1: red eye, one white <laughs> eye. I was
0: like, he, he looks weird. <laughs> So okay. <laughs> That's
1: what happens when you stare directly into the camera lens. Um,
0: we've talked. We've talked a lot about. So, and You know, the 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 surprint image is really nice. He looks very Hollywood. Errol Flynn. Uh, thing, and, yes. Yeah, Errol Maybe Flynn even looks a really good.
1: Dare I say? Uh, yep. Next, the first two page spread, the Doom Patrol, drawn by John Byrne. Personal fan of the Doom Patrol.
0: Clearly. Clearly,
1: uh, and this is the classic Doom Patrol. They get the two page listing here, and he's classic. See, you get the whole team. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, you see the whole team there. You've got the Chief, Elastigirl, Negative Man, Robot Man, Mento, and Beast Boy, who would of course become Changeling later on in the Teen Titans. Classic. <laughs> now, I did some... I did, looked into John Byrne. I really tried to see... <laughs> I looked into John Byrne, and I didn't like what I found.
0: Right. I, I saw his teeth. Now, um, like, I was trying to figure out if he'd ever done an essay. Like, I loved the Doom Patrol, or something about trying to figure <laughs> out essay. why he... Right, well, he, write, really, he
1: writes... Really, 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 like, he's trying to get to 500 he, words. He
0: writes manifestos, so I didn't know if he had written a piece about, you know, his love for the Doom Patrol, maybe that led to why he drew so many here. But, you know, yeah. clearly he's drawn almost, I, I think, every Doom Patrol entry we've seen so far, you know, related entry we've seen so far in the book. Although that um, will last. I don't know, well classic Doom Patrol, I say. Oh,
1: that's true. Okay, and, you're right.
0: And then uh, I, I looked into it. Later on, he did actually draw... Remember Secret Origins, that cool comic, Secret Origins, yes. that came out a couple years after this? He drew an annual that was all about that's the classic Doom right.
1: Patrol. That's right.
0: And he drew that. So.
1: He's a
0: fan. Now, I started reading this, and there's something in here that doesn't sit right with me once you read the next page.
1: It cr- talks a lot. Doom Patrol was with, created by Bill Ray.
0: Shut up, you. I hate you.
1: <laughs>
0: it says that the chief... Uh, sort of had a romance kind of blooming with Madame Rogue. Like, he was attracted to her and was trying to, because she was a famous movie star named Laura DeMille. Written,
1: Laura DeMille.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Subtle. It's secret. And he, I know. And he was trying to bring her back from that because I think the brain, like, messed with her. turned her evil. And, well, yeah. So he's trying, he had sort of a budding romance with him. I don't think they were dating or anything, but you know, just there's, there's flirtation going on here. And then, but once you read the next page, he's a married man. So it's kind of like, hmm, something doesn't sit right here with me. And then, uh, you know, it's worth – one of the things I find interesting, folks, if you don't know the history of the classic Doom Patrol, they were the freaks. They were DC's X-Men and premiered the same – like within a month or two of the X-Men. You could
1: argue that X-Men are Marvel's Doom Patrol.
0: Yes, you you absolutely could. But um, one of the things that the classic Doom Patrol did that really was kind of different than other groups was they actually uh, allowed themselves to be killed – in order to save a fishing village of fourteen that's people, great,
1: I have that comic. That was a great ending.
0: I love that. I mean, they actively the bad guys said, "If you know, if, if you don't let us kill you, Doom Patrol, we're going to murder everybody, the, all fourteen people in this is a fishing village." So the Doom Patrol said, "Okay, uh, we will throw, we will lay down our lives for you know, fourteen people we don't even know." And that's wow. I mean, that's really cool. But also, this became uh, one of the earliest examples of uh, reversed murder slash resurrections. Um, because, <laughs> you know, it's, cla- you know, it's a, it's a classic theme in comics is if you die, you're going to come back. Well, do patrols, I would say is one of the earlier examples of groups that died for an extended period of time and then came back. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm not counting when you die in a comic and you come back the next issue and then really everyone just fooled everybody. I mean like, you know, an extended period. Yeah. They were like there for a,
1: years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like a Jean Grey or, a or, or uh, uh, Bucky, right. Or Barry Tim Allen Drake kind of things.
1: What? Tim Drake.
0: Tim Drake. Yeah. Try again.
1: What? Who's, uh, what? The one? That, who's the?
0: J- Jason, Jason, Jason Todd. Tom. Jason Todd. That's Batman. Batman who cares?
1: Whatever. I I grew out of my if Batman If it's not the Grayson, who cares?
0: <gasps>
1: there. Never I said it. Never speak
0: ill of Tim Drake. All right.
1: Next up, the next, the new Doom Patrol, which was a creation of Paul Kupferberg. Uh, they first appeared in Showcase number ninety-four, just like the X-Men. First, the new X-Men first appeared in X-Men number ninety-four. Um. Well, they first appeared in Giant Size X-Men. I'm just,
0: but their I'm first regular issue was X-Men 94, so you got... A bit they're sense. both 94s. I, I did some research on this. X-Men 94 was May 1975, and um, this new Doom Patrol was 77, so Doom Patrol did come... The new Doom Patrol did come two years later than the new X-Men, but I tell you, that number 94 thing is really bugging me.
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, you see, them, the listing is drawn by Joe Staten, a big fan, and Terry Austin, so... It's a nice little thing because you robe man, negative woman as opposed to negative man, and then the new characters, Celsius and Tempest.
0: I never actually read any of this Doom Patrol era. I mean, were, were they interesting? Yeah, it was
1: fun stuff. I mean, I liked inherently the characters, and Paul Kupperberg did some some kind of interesting stuff with the relationships and things. So, yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I've liked the Doom Patrol kind of in all their iterations. I've never been that huge a fan, but, uh, but I, I thought the... This version was just as valid as the the, the previous version. The previous version I just has tend to stick around a little more, just because it was the original concept. Um,
0: well, and they revert back to those characters right, quite right. frequently. I mean, yeah, I mean, Byrne did, and then Giffen did. So now I, um, and I've been a fan of Doom Patrol. I I, I just didn't know this incarnation, mm-hmm. like Celsius. I'm sorry, no, Tempest. Tempest, like everything I've read about him, he just reads like the most generic character, but. He's probably an interesting guy when you read him, but everything I've read about him, he just seems generic. Now, I, I dig in the Serpent, you can see the, the short-lived body Robot Man had. He had a very mm-hmm. different-looking mm-hmm. body for a little while. I thought that was a pretty cool-looking body myself. And I like how they tied these guys together with other books. For example, the another big contemporary of the original Doom Patrol was the Metal Men. And in this, uh, they say Robot Man's new body was built by Will Magnus. So I thought that was pretty cool. And also, uh, I... I seem to remember as a kid, I read somewhere, and it's not here, but something led me to believe that Celsius had perhaps made up her marriage to the chief. Okay. Does that sound familiar no. at all? Okay. Somewhere, it's possible some some, something I read made it seem like, because she showed up after the chief was dead, and so everyone, and she's like, oh yeah, I was his wife, and I think everyone's kind of like, really?
1: <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. He,
0: ne- he never mentioned you? <laughs> um, and one thing worth noting, I, I, I texted this to you, Rob, maybe you didn't see it, I don't know, but Negative Woman, her real name, she's from Russia, and her real name is Vostok.
1: That's right, that's right.
0: Dun, 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 dun. For those of you who've been keeping up with the others <laughs> the, from the Aquaman Soon book. To be stars of their
1: own book, the others.
0: That's right. There's a now dead guy, a uh, Russian guy named Vostok. It just makes me wonder, uh-huh. could there be a connection? Uh-huh. Jeff Johns doesn't usually miss a beat like that, so...
1: It's like he did in the uh, – he dropped another name in the last issue of Justice League, but that's for another episode of the podcast.
0: Yes, he did. And there's
1: somebody on the last freaking page of Justice League. All right, all right. We're, we're getting off topic. OK. I will, I
0: will say this is – um this is one of my one – of, one of Joe Staten's drawings that I enjoy more than others. OK. Fair enough. I like this one. And maybe because it's Terry Austin. I don't know, but I, I do – I really like this page.
1: Okay. Uh, next up, Dragon King. Uh,
0: Why will not you let me talk about the Doom Patrol? Why do you hate on them?
1: What is your problem? I'm just Dragon King first know. appeared in also Squadron Number Four, drawn by Greg LaRoque and Bob Wiacek. He's angry because his logo is very dull, uh, but the the mask is cool. I love the big hooded mask with the snake on it. It's very Ku Klux Klany kind of mixed with Hydra. You know, um, said he, he was yeah. a you know a Nazi bad guy, and he looked really cool. I dug him. It's 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 not the most exciting drawing in the world. His pose, he's just kind of sort of standing there cursing the heavens, but, um, but it's, it is a nice drawing, and I love that hood. I
0: think that hood is killer. Well, he's not actually Nazi. He's a Japanese. Okay, I meant to Ax- say Axis powers. Yeah. yeah. But I think his pose is cool. I think he looks dramatic. I mean, he's just standing there, but he's got one fist clenched, and the other hand's out, sort of splayed out. I, I think he's you know giving a sermon or something there. I think <laughs> yeah. it looks great. Now, Greg LaRock, as you said, did this, and I mean, this is a really nice drawing. The Surprint line, line work is beautiful. you got the JSA bat doing battle.
1: What's that? going on back there?
0: Well, you know why? is this, this character is extraordinarily important. Now, he was a retcon in Elstar star yes. Squadron, but they used him to explain why the JSA just didn't fly into Germany and
1: finish this Hitler, crap right? with
0: Adolf. Yes. He is the person who created the magic field over the Axis countries that if a magic-based character would come in there, they'd immediately fall into the spell of the, of the Axis. So whenever the JSA would go over there, all the magic-based characters would end up fighting the regular the characters of the which JSA. Is what you see here. Exactly, exactly. Now he also went on Dragon King to appear in the Stars and Stripe Jeff Johns book, which was kind of interesting. Okay. Now Greg LaRock at this point really hadn't been connected to DC Comics, so he he had, in fact when he did this he had just come off of drawing the first five issues of Web of Spider Man, which was a big freaking deal at the time. <laughs> I mean, Web, remember Web of Spider Man? I mean that was a
1: huge Our deal. Third at the time. spinoff Spider Man book. <laughs>
0: Well, it was always advertised like the first new Spider-Man book in 20 years or something like that, you know, or 15 years, whatever. But after this, he pretty much went immediately to Legion. So he really and he cranks out some gorgeous stuff for the Legion. So Greg Lark's great. I loved his uh, Flash work. Oof, right. loved it.
1: Next up is Dream Girl, drawn by James Sherman. Uh, a very nice drawing, very classic pinup. I love the profile. I think the profile is great. Really nice. Uh, cross hatching there of the uh, not even cross hatching just the line work there it's really and there and then the, in the on the um inset there you see she's getting all snuggly with uh, what is that? starboy that's uh, starboy yep. uh, really very very nice drawing um and interesting colors for superhero uniform too
0: see i'm really torn on this one like i would say the the print images are very beautiful very sexy like you said the, the profile shot, the close-up of her face is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I could just fall for her just looking at her, you know? and Which is good because she's supposed to be the most beautiful and, like, sexually alluring member of the, of the Legion you're supposed to be attracted It to even to. says but she's like,
1: considered the most beautiful and alluring Legionnaire.
0: There <laughs> it is. They put it to a but vote like,
1: or something. <laughs> you
0: know, I, it wouldn't take much of a Poor vote. Dawnstar. But the front picture, though, doesn't do much for me. Like... She's not hot in that one. So it's, weird. it's like she's sexy and not sexy at the same time. I don't know. But I will say Starboy's the lucky guy. I'm just saying because I've seen a lot of other drawings of Dream Girl.
1: Oof.
0: As uh, Hector would uh, would beg me to say, she's hot.
1: Thank you. Hector. So Now,
0: I don't get why she has an empty thought balloon over her head in the profile shot. <laughs> like
1: She's just a girl. Those... She doesn't think stuff. Right. It almost seems to imply that she's an airhead. I well, just... That was <laughs> her like... logo, right? Wasn't that her logo, that little thing? What now? Wasn't that little balloon of her the logo balloon.
0: Yeah. You mean like her insignia? Yes.
1: She doesn't have an insignia. Well, no. no started, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. I am going to drop. S- you I... stared her boobs. Stop that's that's her. That's her power. No, I'm going to drop some Legion knowledge on you here. You
0: don't have that. I bet I do.
1: Uh, in number three hundred six, I believe Legion number three hundred six. They do an issue where they vote for new for the new team leader. And different characters are running for leader of the team, and you see who votes for who coming up on some sort of, like, telescreen, and each of the members of the Legion have their own little icon, and her icon is that bubble.
0: You know what? I am looking, I did a Google search real quick, and on Dream Girl, and it went to the image tab, and let me tell you, don't do that at work. But anyway, um, the, there's a lot of animated pictures of Dream Girl from the, from the from the animated series *Legion of Superheroes*, and she—that ha- is her logo on the animated series version, at least. So, Rob, who hates the Legion with the power of a thousand burning suns, clearly has a little bit of Dream Girl um, knowledge.
1: I have so. Legion. I will say this about the Legion. Oh, yeah,
0: that's what I meant. Le- I meant Legion. I that. Yeah, yeah.
1: There was like four issues of *Legion of Superheroes* that I read around, like three hundred three to like three hundred seven.
0: So, are these the ones where they crossed over with with Je- Je- Justice no. League?
1: No, these okay. were just—they were just Keith Giffen issues, and I think Paul Levitz, and I really liked them. I don't know why I didn't continue with the book after that, but I really did like them. Okay, I don't—I for the life of me can't remember why I didn't keep buying them because I thought it was—I was like, wow, well, these are pretty good, and just never kept up with it.
0: Well, I tell you, well, I'm—well, I'm sort of not. Not distant on James Sherman. I'm just saying it's not my favorite. If you go out there, there's oof, there's some amazing drawings of her over the years. Now uh, James Sherman did draw some Legion, which is would be why he got the gig. Yes. Now I find I find it interesting. Like I, I, I always, you know, as a Legion guy, I always knew like what different people's powers were. Like Lightning Lass, her powers changed at one point from being lightning based to being weight like gravity weight based. So she could make things lighter. So she became like light Lass instead of Lightning <laughs> Lass. I think. Well, they, they didn't want. Like I, I guess secret wanted, identity like, Jenny Craig. Well, I think they wanted to avoid people having duplicate powers. Dream Girl is responsible for Lightning last becoming her powers changing. How utterly bizarre! Okay. And then I don't know, like her power is she sometimes has visions of the future, and she's really hot. <laughs> like I don't know how useful that is in combat.
1: <laughs> in the Legion of movie, uh, Patricia Arquette will play her. In this.
0: Well, she's got personal combat training with honors, I suppose, but still, like, I don't know, everyone on her planet has the same power as her, so it's not even like she's, you know, that unique. All right, all right, let's move on. Duke, Duke Deception. of Deception. Deception.
1: As our first uh, double listing page, uh, uh, yet another very old, nobody cares about Wonder Woman villain, uh, Duke <laughs> of Deception. Uh, the old version first appeared to Wonder Woman number two. Which That's is about crazy. as old as you could possibly get. It'll <laughs> still be in the Wonder Woman history. And then the second one was in number 217. It was drawn by Jose Delbo, one of my former instructors at the Cupid School. He didn't give me a great grade, so screw him. And inked by Bob Smith. The wow. uh, <laughs> the other listing is a... well. Hold on. On Duke of Deception, yes. he looks a little uh, Gil Kane-ish. Okay.
0: Like the face. All right. And uh, you said Jose Delbo drew it. Interestingly enough, he drew Wonder Woman for quite a few years, which makes Yep, and I thought it was interesting that the character one of his goals was to try to worsen World War II. <laughs> kind of interesting.
1: So. Um, and then the other listing is the dummy, which is a vigilante villain, and the dummy looks like a life size ventriloquist dummy come to life, and I find them very frightening, so I don't even want to talk about this anymore.
0: Well, he fought Batman one time, so which made me think I would love to see the ventriloquist, the villain, you know the ventriloquist, the Batman villain who who has the the dummy. Yes. Okay. I'd love to see that dummy versus this
1: dummy. I, well, I don't want to see any of it because, I, again, I find it very creepy. This is a nasty character, and that he killed the vigilante sidekick. He did. He killed stuff. Isn't that crazy? He was killing sidekick now, long before the Joker ever thought about it.
0: That's true. And this was drawn by Marshall Rogers, which is just awesome. Yes. Really nice stuff. Yes.
1: I love the little drawing of him sneaking up on the vigilante around the corner. <laughs> gotcha.
0: But well, I like that. Yeah, right. That's exactly how I imagine he talks. Like it's that. creepy. This is just <laughs>
1: creepy. I want to move on. It really is. I yes. just find Ventura stuff. very upsetting. Uh, uh, next, Duo Damsel, art by Mary Wilshire and Dick Giordano. Very nice, very pretty drawing. And you see her and they're using her powers there.
0: Now, if you didn't know this was by Mary w- Wilshire and you just looked at it, who would you think drew it?
1: It. It wouldn't shock me if it was a. To- if they said it was a totally Dick Giordano drawing because it has that look to it. I think it's. It bears a lot of his stamp as the anchor.
0: Uh, see, I was thinking uh, Carmen Infantino inked by Dick Jr. Really? what I was I saying. It looks like an Infantino to me. I thought it was until I started really reading it. Now, Mary Wilshire um, had not done DC really no, up to this point. No. And I think the reason she got this gig, I think, was because she was known for drawing women. And Duo Damsel is a very pretty girl. I mean, heck, you get three of them Come here. First non-charter member of the Legion. Okay. Used to be triplicate girls. Yes. Until till, till Computer killed one of
1: them. Yeah, and there you see him in the background there.
0: Now, you know, she, a lot of people may know she married Bouncing Boy, which nice job, dude. he totally, right, he totally married up. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. But I feel so bad here because in here it talks about how she had a crush on Superboy, like for the longest time. And then uh, I love the way it's worded. Realizing that a crush she had long had on Superboy was hopeless because she knew his destiny from her history books, she fell in love with Chuck Tain, Bouncing Boy. So, wow, what, what? an ultimate um, sloppy seconds or, you know, just not even sloppy seconds, really, but just uh, uh, like settling. a total settling. Yeah, like, ouch, you know, I can't have Superboy, so I'll take the fat kid. <laughs> I mean, it's really what she, what they just wrote in that paragraph. Captain
1: is not complaining.
0: Right, totally, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: uh, All right. Next is a, one of the more unusual split pages. Uh, we've got Duplicate Boy. From the Legion, again another Legion of Superheroes character, drawn by Jerry Bingham and Chick Dardano. He looks very sa- self satisfied using his powers there. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Dun dun. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> I have a very ridiculous costume, but uh, here I am using my powers. Um, and then the other listing is Earthworm, art Ugh. art by Tim Burgard, who is a Huntress villain. Uh, who I'm not yes. familiar with, but uh, it's it's a cool drawing. It's hard to see because it it's so tiny. But he, he su- looks suitably disgusting.
0: <laughs> well, he kind of reminds me of like a, a – he seems like he'd be a good Batman villain, like a, like a rat catcher. Right. Well, you know, he's a hunter. It's close. Right. And he, lo- he looks a little bit like Caliban because he lives in the sewers. But the thing that disturbs me about him is, I mean, he he steals babies. <laughs> I mean, that's just
1: – that's really upsetting.
0: <laughs> now, um, the thing is, interesting thing about Duplicate Boy, a couple of different things. Jerry Bingham drew Duplicate Boy. And Jerry Bingham really hadn't been doing any DC stuff. Like, or at least, I'm sorry, hadn't, hadn't been doing any Legion stuff at this point. So it's kind of interesting that they got that gig. they had been working a lot for Marvel and Independence, and he was drawing the V comic, which I own all issues of V, wow. sadly. But one of the neat things here is it says that he is arguably the most powerful hero of the 30th century. Because basically he had the power to just mimic other people's powers. So like at one point he mimicked Superboy's power so he could fly like across the solar system in moments. Yeah, he couldn't you know, mimic a better costume.
1: <laughs> He's one of the heroes of Lallor Okay There we have <laughs> okay. it Okay um, Next up uh, The double page spread Easy is- Oh wait What wait. I No was say one thing. Moving oh, on
0: no. The, Well the, I want to say the, dupe, the split entry This is one of the times where it was kind of weird In that the type setting's funny In that All the text is on the left hand side Normally they would like Have a picture on the right side And a picture on the left Like one right justified One left justified Okay They didn't do that this time
1: And it's not a 50-50 split either Right. a duplicate boy gets like you, a little more.
0: But you normally do, they would switch up the Justified just to sort of make it a little right. more interesting to look they at. They
1: were in a hurry. But, okay. all, right. Next all right. Next up, next is Easy Company, drawn by Joe Kubert, of course. Uh, Easy Company was basically the heartbreakers to Sergeant Rock's Tom Petty. Uh, quite you know, great group, great shot of all of them posing. And you see in the background there's Sergeant Rock calling them all to arms, presumably. Um, you only – this. I believe there were other members of Easy Company over the years, but these were like the main guys that got used over and over again. It's a great drawing. Of course it's a great drawing. It's by Joe Kubert and drawing his – arguably his marquee characters. So, you know, just a classic.
0: Dude, dude, like, you know when we talk about uh, Aquaman and we talk about Ivan Reese and every so often when in that book you, you get his – I don't remember how you phrase it. The bam page the or kapow, something like that. The kapow you, moment. The kapow page. This was the kapow moment of this book for mm. me. Like I flipped this page and I actually caught my breath. It just, it's the picture is huge. the The little heads along the side, which is very typical for DC, but a little row of heads with names. The backgrounds are black. Yep. Which is unusual here. There's a lot of dark colors on this. Uh, you know, he, he, rock is huge. He, he's, his arm is stretching across two pages in the back and the print. It's it is a Kapow moment. This this drawing and it just blew me away. And it's a great one by Kubert. Yeah. Absolutely great.
1: Absolutely. I mean, said they deserve. It. They had their own series for you know like thirty some odd years uh you know, and they were great it was just great and i I like how the characters in the background like their legs start fading into like nothing like the detail disappears it gives a kind of a very weirdly kind of ghostly feel to it I mean it's not necessarily what he's going for, but it's 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 interesting that the detail fades as they go down towards the ground um, yeah yeah it's great all around and this is one of those things where like I want to go find the old issues of. Sergeant Rock and Our Army Award War, and reread them because those are some amazing comics. The little bits I've read hear, are amazing.
0: Yeah, I've heard they're great. I've never read any Sergeant Rocks, but I hear they're great. I, I, I think my favorite character, just from the from the picture, is uh, Farmer Boy. So.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: He's water and the flower. That's Very sweet.
1: Um, next up is Eclipso, drawn by Dave Gibbons. Fantastic, great drawing. Um, he first appeared in House of Secrets number sixty-one. That's probably like one of the more obscure kind of like first appearances. He appeared in one of the mystery books, not, a, not as a super yep. necessarily. necessarily. Um, yep. Great drawing, again, by, by Dave Gibbons. And we see the little bit of the origin. You see a close-up of him without all the goofy stuff on his face. And then seeing him use his, his little uh, jewel of power there where he's all happy and happy with himself.
0: Yep. And and Dave Gibbons got this gig because he was drawing Green Lantern at the yep. time. And Eclipso had, had dealt with him. It goes all the way back to 1963, by the way. I looked that up. Now, it, Eclipso in post-crisis is very different. Uh, I mean, they, they didn't... Deny any of his pre crisis origin, but they just fleshed it out much further. And there's actually a hint of it in here. It says that um, he is superhumanly powerful and a savage hand to hand combat. Savage. Right, which doesn't correlate from my memory of pre crisis Eclipso, but it certainly correlates with post crisis. So I, I, I dig that. And there's no mention in here, by the way, of Eclipso possessing people. Like, that that's totally his shtick in post-crisis, as he possesses people. Here, it's all about the gemstone. Depending on which eye he held it to, it shot two different beams. <laughs> so, like, it, it shot a black beam and a white beam, basically, is what it shot.
1: Okay. So. Very cool. He is one mm-hmm. of the 2 fear fair-looking characters, though, you have to admit, with the little beanie head. and. The...
0: <laughs> I tell you, like, when they produced his action figure, I was excited about it. Like... It was a classic Eclipse. I I couldn't buy it. It it looks so ridiculous. I'm like, oh man.
1: His face is scary, but then you realize that he looks like an elf, and the little beanie head. You're like, oh lord, you know.
0: Right. Exactly. He just needs those little uh, pixie boots and uh, so So.
1: (laughs) Next up, uh, Elastic Lad, drawn by Howard Bender and Romeo Tango. Worst costume in the DC universe.
0: I actually wrote bargain basement costume. Is what (laughs) I wrote.
1: (laughs) Lazy. I mean, this this is a costume. Created by the Ben Cooper Halloween people, where you have your own name written across your chest. I mean, just ridiculous. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Leslie Glad's alternate alter ego is Jimmy Olsen, uh, soon to be turned into a woman in the new Superman movie. We're all excited about that. Um, And what? Yes, you haven't heard that. What? So unnecessary. Anyway, go ahead. What's unnecessary?
0: Go ahead. Just, uh, let's move on. They,
1: they might be turning him into Jenny Olsen. That's the thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. He's elastic last glad. I, you know, I never liked Jimmy Olsen. I'm sorry. I just thought he was annoying. And him with superpowers is even more annoying. His one great moment comes in uh, the Whatever Happened to Man of Tomorrow story by Alan Moore where he sacrifices his life to save Superman. That is like, you know, yeah. I'm supportive of that. So.
0: I like how he's rocking the popped 80s collar in the in the Surprint yeah. on the typewriter. <laughs> Um, he's also
1: not looking at his typewriters as he's typing. He's looking off to the side, which seems like an inefficient way of typing.
0: Well, he's that good. Now, uh, this was drawn by Howard Bender, and he had drawn some Jimmy Olsen stories before. So this just, this just smacks of total Silver Age nonsense to me. It's like, you know, it, you know what? Elastic Lad and Composite Superman can go off and have their own little corner of the DC Universe, and I'd be fine without it. Okay. Now, I like me some Jimmy Olsen. I really do. When Jimmy Olsen's in the Superman comic and it's written well, I'm good with that. Elastic Lad, I got, I got no use okay. for this. Or Turtle Boy. Okay. So.
1: Fair enough. Let's move on. Elastic Girl, part of the Doom Patrol, drawn again by, of course, John, John Byrne. John Byrne. Very nice drawing. Great perspective. You know, her looming into the frame there in her giant frame. Uh, nice portrait. Her picking up a giant robot and smashing it. Uh, great logo, too. I love that logo. I don't know if Todd Klein designed that new or that was a, an established logo. I'm betting it's new. That's a really great logo. It's a very, like, 3D-ish, giant logo kind of thing. So, very, very cool. One of the things I found odd in this was in her entry,
0: it's almost like somebody felt the need to explain comic book science. Like, comic books, there's a lot of things in comic books we just accept and just move on. But somebody felt the need to explain it here, because it actually, I love how it starts with the word apparently. (laughs) Apparently, Elastigirl gave off an unknown aura that caused whatever she wore to expand, stretch, or shrink as she did. Apparently, <laughs> it's just, I don't know that really just jumps out at me. And the way this is written, it makes it sound like she could also stretch, but I think she could really only grow. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, she,
1: yeah, I don't remember the stretching part.
0: And apparently, she could shrink too. I, did, I never knew I didn't that.
1: that either. Okay, well, I guess it lasts, tells you since more of a stretch. Sure, thing. so yes, very nice drawing. Uh, and it's nice cohesion too to have Byrne doing all this, all the listings of one team, like, gives it a nice, yeah. you know. It's a, it's a nice yeah. thread to all the series of like he's drawing every listing.
0: I think she's got a very pretty face. It's it's not a usual burn woman's it's face. It's very
1: girlish, which is nice. It's not she doesn't look it's more innocent rather than like sexy vamp, which is tend to what women in super super archivics tend to look like. God bless. Very nice. Next up, El Diablo drawn by the great legendary Gray Morrow. Great drawing and uh, I mean he looks even more like Zara than the Don Caballero guy because he's got the mask yes. and the thing and the whole thing. His first appearance was an all-star Western number three. Walter Ego what? Lazarus Lane, great name. Former Awesome. And, well, considering he died and came back. Yeah, there you for go. Lazarus. Former bank clerk, now Mysterious Avenger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting if you read it, he's he's got a split
0: personality of El Diablo and Lazarus Lane. And the only thing I wonder is like I don't know if Lazarus Lane remembers being El Diablo. I wonder about that. Because it says, from that night forward, the part of the man that was Lazarus Lane would sleep while the other self would ride as a dark-clad avenger of justice. The frontier phantom known only as El Diablo. Great. I love the very dramatic
1: flourish at the end there of the listing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, yeah, Gray, Gray Morrow does just beautiful work on this piece The Surprint, especially Now, El Diablo shortly after this was uh, brought back in a modern day context There was a new El Diablo character shortly after this Had his own series for a while Now, uh, according to Comic Book Database, at least Gray, Gray Morrow drew El Diablo's first appearance
1: uh, We know how accurate they can be, so we'll find out
0: I think it stands to reason that that's that one's probably possible right.
1: Gray Morrow was around probably at that time so
0: yeah. Yeah, you know, Alrighty.
1: Next up, the Electrocutioner, or just Electrocutioner, sorry, Electrocutioner, no, the art by David Ross and Klaus Jansen. Uh, one of the more minimal listings, there's really not much going on back there, it's just a big close up of him and then him zapping, about to zap the vigilante. Um, I, don't, I don't really be familiar with who David Ross is. This looks like a very Klaus Jansen drawing.
0: It does. I had to look up David Ross. Um, he was fairly new. Around at this time, he had drawn a little bit of Infinity Ink, he had drawn some Star Trek, but he had, had no connection to Vigilante. Sure. So, I don't know. I thought he looked like, uh, when I first saw. I thought this was a Luke McConnell drawing. I think that's how you say his name? He used to draw Suicide Squad? Okay, yeah. I And didn't draw, he drew Justice League yes, for a while, too, I thought. I thought this was a Luke McConnell drawing, but... And then I thought maybe David Ross was Luke McConnell, but no, it's really Klaus Janssen that's making it look like Luke, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it really looks close. And, you know, it looks cool. He's got, obviously, you can tell by his name, what his powers are. Cool costume, just the flat black and the red, highlights and the yellow gloves. It's a nice look, and uh, I like the poses in the bottom. The body language is very nice. You know, Vigilante's about to get Mm -hmm. crispy fried. So, um, I like that the ending says, the two have uh, battled repeatedly, each advancing his own theory of crime fighting. As this is writing, the fight continues.
0: Yep. And uh, there's a mask in this entry, and it doesn't come no. off. <laughs>
1: no. um, next up, Element Lad, yet another Legion character, drawn by Carleen Doran and Carl Kiesel. Another instance of DC pulling somebody from the world of indie comics. Uh, in this case, yep. Colleen Doran from a distant soil to draw Element Lad. Um,
0: exactly right. Like I said, this issue is full of really unusual art choices.
1: Yes. It's a cute drawing. Uh, again, I'm not, you know, my Legion thing. Just kind of don't have a lot to say about it. But it, it's a very nice drawing. Element Lad is rocking a serious six-pack. Um,
0: there's something to talk about with Element Lad, that later on, in post-crisis, in the five year later, they reveal that Element Lad is gay. Um, well, I shouldn't say it that way. It's not that he's actually revealed to be gay, it's that he finds out the girl he's in love with is actually a guy, and he's like, well, whatever, I don't care.
1: All right, good. And so, the one you're with.
0: Right, I mean, so he's not exactly gay, it's just that he's in love with this one person who turns out it's a guy. So... You know, for a long time prior to this, fans you know would, would like to speculate who in the Legion might be gay. Apparently, I, I did some research on. That. Apparently, that's a big thing. They they did. They <laughs> did would some a research. They well, I did. They would speculate who's gay and who it wasn't. Just sounds, the legion. I'm just
1: picturing you typing who in the Legion Superheroes is gay. Click, 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 click. No,
0: I typed in element lay homosexuality. Element lay homosexuality is what I did. So, and that came up with that. So, anyway, but it almost seems like they're setting it up here because they talk about here how he has a very lonely personal life, and um, and it just. In the drawing here, Colleen Duran's drawing makes him look very effeminate. I thought it was interesting, and it it, it, it sort of like it was a nice lead-in. So later on, when he was uh, was with a guy, it just like this almost seems like it was intentionally leading up to that. So, anyway, so I like the character development. A lot. The only thing that bothered me is that, about him is that he's just insanely powerful, like crazy powerful, like firestorm. Crazy I was about powerful. to
1: say this too. So. That'd be a great fight between those two.
0: Yeah, and the Sir print, Colleen Duran did a great drawing on this. Really nice. You stuff. see him
1: joining the Legion there, and then you see him using his powers, and then you see a close up of his nice perm.
0: Exactly. He's <laughs> rocking the 70s, too. There we go.
1: Next up is our big star of the book.
0: <laughs> the, yeah, the, okay. How
1: well, he is. The elongated man drummed by Carmen Infantino and Dick Urugano. There he is, waving high in his new costume. He's see, you see hi. him in the background drinking his gingold. There he is with his nose twitching, which means there's a mystery with his wife, Sue Dibney. And there in the background, you see him in his two other previous costumes. One with his original suit that had the mask, and then the other one that was more familiar, the one that he wore when he joined the Justice League. Now, this costume was drawn, was redesigned by Stephen DiStefano. Uh, I asked Stephen about how this costume came about, and he said, "He, uh, this is him saying, I quote, I took it upon myself to redesign Ralph's costume. I was up at DC's offices all the time back then. I knew the crisis was happening, and I knew changes in the air for the entire DC cast of characters. Len, 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 we used to talk about, may have given me a list of characters that he or Marv Wolfman or Dick Giordano wanted to see redesigned, but I didn't need much prompting. I was just off and running, tossing out redesigns for Batgirl, Black Canary, Black Lightning, and a cavalcade of second-string villains. I can't remember if Ralph was one of the characters Len mentioned he'd like to see get a new costume or not, but likely I just took a shot at it and it seemed to hit with the first sketch I came up with. I was conscious of wanting to get away from the red, yellow, and black look of Ralph's mid-70 costume, mid-70s costume because I didn't want him to be a third-grade Plastic Man imitation, so I went back to his original purple color scheme. I split him down the center, offsetting the purple with the white, which I thought would look good when Ralph stretched long, as well as put the black band across his chest, which I thought would accent his form while stretching wide. The EM thing was kind of dumb in retrospect, but I was all into unnecessary detail back then anyhow. Now that I think of it, there was one great revision of my initial sketch that Lynn asked for originally. I thought it would be cool if Ralph wore glasses. I gave him a pair of granny glasses because I figured, hell, he's a detective. He's supposed to be pretty smart. The best way I knew back then to make a character smart looking was to give him glasses. I still think it's a pretty clever idea, but Lynn didn't go for it, and I gave him up in my second sketch. And that's the story of Ralph's post-crisis costume. That's awesome.
0: There you go. And I'm 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 so excited to hear all that actually because one of my comments here is this is my favorite elongated man costume. I mean, I really, really, really like this costume.
1: It's an d- unusual color scheme to say the least.
0: And I love the EM. I think the EM looks awesome. <laughs> and uh, my my favorite era of this costume would be when he had his mini series in 1992. I think that was Ty Templeton, maybe that's right. I'm not really sure off the top I of my knows. head.
1: Maybe could be right. I think thinking well,
0: Mike like Powerbeck did it. It could be. I mean, it was definitely that
1: was you know fun. animated it was series, fun, stuff. yeah. Yeah, that was a great series.
0: Very fun stuff. But I loved it, his costume and that especially. So yeah, I loved this costume. In fact, I think they used this costume in the Justice League Inter- uh, Unlimited episode he appeared in too. I
1: think so because the, the the action figure has this costume.
0: Yeah, and let's be honest, who doesn't have a crush on Sue Dibny? I know. Uh, I do.
1: Not, I know. Well, Brad Meltzer clearly doesn't. But
0: well, I'm just leaving it yeah, at that. Exactly. So, I also liked elongated man because he. Even though he's a stretchy character, he was a detective. He was more about the detective than being silly. So Absolutely. I like that. Uh,
1: now, remember what I said earlier about the Duke of Deception and Dummy being the most discordant two-page split? No, screw, scratch that. This is the most discordant <laughs> two-page split. We have El Papillago from Jonah Hex and Elu from the Omega Men, which is two characters that couldn't have less to do with one another. Papagayo. Oh, I'm sorry. El Papagayo is uh, drawn by Mark Teixeira and Frank G- Giacoya, I believe. And Elu is drawn by Sean McManus because he's from the Omega Men and the McManus is drawing the Omega Men back there. So to the extent, right. these two characters should have been put together on the cover just, just to simply highlight how far-reaching this issue was. <laughs> by
0: the way, the only reason I know how to say it's Papagayo Papa is that it's in the it's pronunciation process.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Now, Mark Teixeira, I saw this and I'm like, Mark Teixeira? I thought he was like a 90s artist. I looked it up. He was drawing Jonah Hex and then at this point was drawing
1: Hex. Hex yes.
0: Just the crazy Jonah Hex in the future. Yeah, comic. Jonah Hex
1: World Warrior book, yes. No. Yeah, he's a Jonah Hex lo- villain,
0: yes, for we didn't say that. I love his marital status. It says single, apparently. <laughs> and El Papagaya means the parrot.
1: Okay. And he's got a parrot right on his chest. I mean he on the Yeah, Very nice. And then Elu,
0: um, Interesting that he was always, like, the character's always inside this Force Shield The egg. easiest
1: money like, Sean McManus ever earned. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so, just a weird character. I don't understand how Occupation
1: is a freedom fighter. All right, uh, more Legion characters. Emerald Empress, uh, drawn by Car- Kurt Swan and Carl Kiesel. Um, I, my favorite part of Emerald Empress is the giant floating eyeball. That is by far yes. my favorite part. Now, I really do wish the pose was more exciting. She's just standing there.
0: It is It is a weaker... I mean, she's pretty, you know, but it's a weaker...
1: She's just She's just. There.
0: There's not a lot of dynamics there other than the least Great logo, Great
1: logo, too. Yeah,
0: that's nice. Um, yeah, her power, I mean, it's kind of... I mean, it's almost like a... If you read it, it's almost like a Green Lantern, her power. I mean, she's the kind of crazy shit she can do. Um, I do love how she says... She, she has no personal abilities or skills other than drive, than a driving will to conquer the greater than human – and the greater than human physical strength of all inhabitants of her planet. She has no skills. Look, like, apparently she can't even write her name. Yeah. She has <laughs> no, no skills. So, um, Now, it was kind of cool in a later Legion story or maybe it was – I think it was Legion story where they found the Emerald Eye and they were dealing with it and stuff. And then she showed up with an Emerald Eye because, you know, you should have two eyes. <laughs> It was really cool. It was like,
1: oh, my God, there's two of them? Yeah,
0: it was, it was the kind of This
1: thing is called The Emerald Eye of Ekron, and I misread oh. it. I thought it said The Emerald Eye of Enron. I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's The Emerald Eye of Akron. Yeah. Akron <laughs> That's where uh, Little Muscle Burbage is from. Uh, That's what I heard. <laughs> next up is The Enchantress, uh, drawn by Carl Potts and Dick Geno. I always like Carl Potts. He uh, um, had a career in Marvel as an editor. On Lina, yeah. But uh, he's a great artist. He had really funky style, and you can see this pose is great. She looks very sort of saucy, and she's whipping off her hat with all that crazy stuff coming out of it. And uh, it,
0: There was absolutely no reason for him to do this. I mean, as far as connection. Yeah, he, as far he as has know, no, connection he no connection at all. Connection,
1: yeah.
0: And I'll tell you, if you look at the, the energy coming out of her hat and stuff and the kind of the, the lines on her tunic, I, I would have said at first guess, is that a Simonson drawing? It has that scratchiness know? to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's an interesting character because she actually started off as a hero and then eventually became a villain. So – and then she went on, of course, to be with Suicide Squad and Shadow Pack and Justice League Dark and League – uh, she was the leader of the Forgotten Villains for a while. So,
1: Yeah, she's cool, she's cool looking too. I, li- I like her costume. I like her big floppy hat. It's very nice. It's a, it's a great tr- – it's, it's probably like not the greatest character in the world made look – made very compelling by this listing. It's really, very nice.
0: She was she, when she wore the shirt like this. She was pretty sexy. It's interesting how uh, apparently all characters named Enchantress have to be sexy and in green. Uh,
1: that's true. The green, thing, yeah. I mean, Enchantress being sexy that, that makes sense, but the the green, yeah, it's, fun for, it's interesting. It's the,
0: Green's a sexy I color, guess.
1: apparently. Uh, next up is Enemy Ace, another Psh, yes, another Marquis Joe Kubert character, and this is an interesting pose. You've got the enemies looking up into the sky, presumably at the dogfight which is going on above him. Bingo. Uh, Really, you know, again, another fantastic drawing. I love the way his scarf leads down and points into, leads your eye down to the bottom of the page where the dogfight is going on. Presumably, maybe that's the dogfight that he's watching. And then there's a nice close up of him, too. It's really, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's great. This is clearly the stuff that Joe Kubert sank his teeth into. Not so much the superhero stuff, but the the war stuff, because he really, really went all out for these drawings, and it's it's really very nice.
0: I really like uh, his mat. His goggles have this sort of wolf looking or Batman almost pointed effect to it. Mm-hmm. It was nice. And, um, you know, one of the big things I've, you know, I've read some of the Enemy Aces now, and I'm uh, just absolutely in love with it. And it. It even quotes one of my favorite lines in here is, the sky is the killer of us all. And he was an incredibly honorable character. Just very, very honorable and really focused on, um, you know, in, in combat, if somebody had a disadvantage, he wouldn't attack them. It had to be a fair fight kind of thing. Really neat, and uh, I love Joe Quesada. Such a master! Like in the background here, there's just a little shot of, of of him with a woman, and clearly there is some sort of romantic tension between them. And you see it all just in his eyes.
1: Yeah. Yes. It looks.
0: And Quesada's nice. so good. Yeah. i since we've been doing Who's Who, I have such an appreciation for him now.
1: Excellent. All right. Yep. Yeah. That's great. It's great. this would have been a great like a separate book. You know, it would have been neat if DC had done like a Who's Who of War comics and just done all their War characters. That would have been kind of cool.
0: Well, you know, they did that recent War of the Time Forgot miniseries. It was like a 12-issue thing. And it was okay. This was before the New 52. It was okay, but it was neat to see they threw, like, every big warden character. It was, it was like Crisis an Earth for War characters. Okay. It's kind of what it was. I mean, they were all thrown in this one island, and it, it had enemy ace. It had all these folks in it. And so it was, that was closest you're ever going to get to a yes, big collection sure. of War characters. I just
1: want more Who's Who series in retrospect.
0: So. I understand. Uh,
1: next up, another two-page spread, uh, The Enforcer.
0: Not, not two-page spread, but two oh, no, entries on one page. Sorry,
1: yeah, double-entry double page. The Enforcer, which was uh, – I'm confused here because it lists our two different appearances. There's two different Enforcers? You,
0: you want me to take yes, this? It is a Firestorm character. So. Well, I see him in the so background. background. I, I see Firestorm, firestorm dancing yep. with
1: Enforcer in the background there.
0: If you call it that. Enforcer was basically a supervillain thug. Uh, worked for different groups, whether it be the, the, I think it was the 1000 committee or the 100 committee or whatever, or uh, Henry Hewitt or uh, Multiplex. So made for a very good supervillain thug. And when he first appeared, it was a guy in in this uh, almost Iron Man like costume, but made of like a a fiber hard plastic is what it was. But it's kind of an Iron Man villain type character. And then um, he was killed by his boss uh, because he failed a mission. So he got killed and was replaced by a woman. So that's why you get two different enforcers here you get uh, Leroy Merkin, the most unfortunate last name ever <laughs> in super <laughs> comics, and it, the replacement, which is a girl who's simply named Micah, so uh, it's a very cool looking armor and it just it, you know again, it made it a, a really cool armored th- super thug so okay. uh, unfortunately if you're going up against firestorm though you your your main gimmick probably should not be something it, uh non organic. <laughs>
1: The um, one thing that baffles me is the signature down at the bottom by Rafael Cayenne and Gary Martin. That looks that yeah. looks like a kid's signature. It looks like a kid's handwriting. <laughs> like, Do you
0: back off of Rafael Cayenne? It just looks
1: like, a, like he held it with his hand with like his, you know like the way a kid Whatever. holds a crayon. That's all.
0: Look at the enforcer. Look how cool the enforcer it looks. is. That it is. It's a great
1: drawing. No, it's a great drawing. Great
0: drawing. Yeah. I like the design of the costume.
1: Yes. Uh, the other half of the page is The Eradicator, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Dennis Jensen. Uh, this is a character from The Flash. Um, the, the the part I like about this is his, the use of his powers in the background. You see him disintegrating somebody's face.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: about as violent as who's who ever got. And you see the chunks of flesh flying off this person's skull.
0: Yes, you do. It's, inter- it's interesting that the post crisis Eradicator was the Superman character, the, the last son of Krypton, the, mm-hmm. the Kryptonian device took human form. And in both cases, both of these Eradicators are vigilantes. They're both on the side of right, and they're both, you know, obviously, with a name like Eradicator, clearly they're going to be a murderer. But in this case, they're both vigilantes, and they're sort of similar. There's some, there's, so I wonder when they did the reign of Superman character and they took this name, I wonder if any thought was given to this version. I do think it's kind of funny that in the text here, it seems like the writing here is having to make up for some artistic license because it, it says this piece here about um, um, his power could affect a person through ordinary clothing, which itself usually remained intact. So it's almost like just the artist who created license to kill the person and leave the clothes <laughs> it was sort of an Obi-Wan Kenobi death mm-hmm. kind of thing, and like they felt it necessary to explain that in writing.
1: Okay. And it turns out at the end he disintegrated himself. Well, you know. It makes me want to find these comics just to see how grisly they got. I mean, this guy's disintegrating. Um,
0: Given that it was the last couple years of Flash, it makes me not interested in finding those. Well,
1: all right. I mean, it was probably like a good three years. I guess that is couple years
0: That means it was probably the middle of the trial? No, it was before the
1: trial. Before the trial.
0: That was a joke. That was a joke. It,
1: It was year three of the trial. Exactly. Uh, Next up is Evil Star, drawn by Gil Kane, one of the more doofy costumes. Um, He's got a giant starfish on his face. Uh, (laughs) But it's a nice drawing, and I love how dynamic the cape is. It's very, 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 very exciting.
0: I mean, Gil Kane's done a very nice job with what he had to work with.
1: Uh, Yes, I think that's a fair fair way of putting it.
0: Uh, Even though he probably, I imagine he probably created the character, too. But I don't
1: know. No, he probably didn't create um, it. But, well, maybe co-creative, like John Broom or something. Well, you know what yeah.
0: I mean, the art artistically, yeah. His, his backstory is scary. <laughs> like, he created this thing to uh, make him live forever or whatever, and it made him evil. And he, it says he sat here and laughed as his wife and son grew old and died while he remained young. I mean, he's really cre- – like, creepiness. Some people have bizarre senses um, of humor. uh so he just yeah. and he had these creepy little sidekicks called Starlight. Oh, you it's see really them in the background
1: group. there, and one of them's like yeah. biting Green Lantern in the leg. <laughs> it's, it's
0: just creepy. And crazy. he was really powerful. I mean, he was kind of like a jacked up Green Lantern. I mean, he was invulnerable too, but his powers were sort of Green, green Lantern esque. So, I mean, he, I guess he made for a good GL villain, but like, he, right, <laughs> just looked
1: ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, sixties was a tough time. Uh, next is the Fadeaway Man, a character that was completely unknown to me until who, who told who's who. Uh, he's a Batman villain from... Oh, no, he's a Hawkman villain from Detective, Detective Hawkman Comics. Hawkman villain, yeah. Uh, drawn by Dave Cockrum, who is not doing a lot of DC work. Never, never he, he did, not did con- do a lot of DC Well, he did some. He drew Shazam. He did, he did some uh, Captain Marvel stuff in Adventure Comics, but uh, not much, not much.
0: Well, he wasn't connected to this character at all. Um, but I tell you, I love the art in this drawing. Okay. Cockrum draws some nice stuff. Guy had an interesting power. He he was a teleportation type power, and he would reach into his cloak and pull out weapons he was teleporting from somewhere else. Which I seem to recall Superman had a villain like that later on in Post Crisis. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's cool. It's a nice it's a nice thing. I like the gimmick. It's a cool look, and uh, I, it's kind of interesting to note that you know years later, um, or no, about the same time, I guess, Eldorado stole the cloak and used it for himself to teleport yeah. with.
1: <laughs> and
0: by the way, Eldorado should be in this issue. I'm just saying.
1: I, yes, unfortunately, they can't, They didn't have the super. Friends characters, but yes, he would have been had they had they had that right. That's too bad. Ugh.
0: And it could've, he could have had Fade Away Man's club.
1: Yes, oh, and they would have had to do Apache Chief in the A's as well.
0: Oh, um, so...
1: And the final entry for this issue is Fastback from the Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew. I have to say, I'm a little surprised that they gave every member of the Zoo Crew their own page. It seems like maybe a half a page for each would have done it, but it's it's sort of... I appreciate the commitment to a more like a little more off the beat track book
0: well what the strange thing about it is is that um captain carrot was
1: over at this yeah, point they were given up for that mini-series
0: right but i mean it just it seems you know if the if the, if the series had been ongoing sure i'd get it but being a canceled series what yeah i mean doing?
1: they all got their own page i think i think like every like, like Cabra, all of them i think got their own full page it's kind of amazing
0: i think so now i will say that um out of all the, the Who's Who end pages we've seen through these seven issues, Scott Shaw gets it better than anybody.
1: There's a lot he, of stuff in this page.
0: He puts so much stuff in the Serpent, but it's not overwhelming. You know, each little action is clear what's going on, and it's just nicely done. And, I mean, he really, really gets it. So, uh, I love his relatives. He's related to Don Coyote. Is <laughs> To so Don Coyote? Yep. Uh, he, he's also related to Alfred E. Newgator. He said Alfred E. Newman, which cracks me up. And uh, he's and by the way, his nickname I didn't realize this. Fastback's nickname he's the Reptilian Rocket. <laughs> and one more note, sorry, Scott Shaw signs his name with an exclamation point. So where it says Art by Scott Shaw, it actually hasn't. That's
1: name. fair. That's great. That's a great little. Detail. I love that.
0: So <laughs> that's
1: cool. I like this final. We have to end on this powers and weapons. Fastback can remove his shell, apparently an ability possessed by all turtles on Earth.
0: Now. This is probably just my memory being bad. I thought Captain Carrot the crew, was Earth C minus. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't remember. <laughs> maybe it may, maybe that was the, just a lot of animals, or maybe they were on the same Earth. I don't remember maybe either. So. Somewhere there there was Earth C minus. Sean
1: thought. Corey, where are you when we need you?
0: Well, right, or uh, Siskoid will tell or maybe Siskoid. us. Or 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 the Toy Room. Yeah,
1: so, we have a very knowledgeable and nerdy fan base. Uh, we really do. So, so that's it. That wraps up issue seven. Well, you we gotta talk about the
0: back page real quick. Okay, well, I'll just say uh, the back cover lists, you know, upcoming books, and I will tell you there's some great covers on here. You get the first issue DC Challenge, love it. You get a great Crisis in an Earth cover, and it's at the halfway point. You get an uh, awesome Kubert Jansen Lytle. I mean, you get covers by Kubert, you get a cover by Jansen, you get a cover by Lytle, and you get a really great Wonder Woman cover from an era that
1: nobody cares about. So. Ouch. True facts, brother. All right, that's it, and that is issue seven of volume seven of Who, V.I.I. We're all very happy with that. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as,
0: as I as I like to call it, the placeholder issue for the next couch. one that features that features Firestorm.
1: Okay. yeah, and some other characters mm-hmm. that you might have heard of, like you know the. Flag. Who cares about them? Um, blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah blah blah. So anyway, okay, we're moving on into listener feedback. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to kind of trip hammer through this. We did want to mention that, of course, all our episodes of the Fire and Water Podcast can be found on Stitcher Radio right now. Thank you very much. Um, we have on iTunes, you can find the most recent 25 episodes, but if you want to find all the episodes, you can go to the Fire and Water blog, which is, um, fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com, where you can find in the sidebar links to every single one of the episodes, all 41 Fire and Waters and all seven Who's Who's episodes. So, you can find everything. Woohoo!
0: Uh, as I said, we're going to go very quickly through this. I just want to give a shout-out to Ciscoid Siskoid, um, first of all, he, he gave us his favorite podcast of 2012 award yes. for the Who's Who. Very nice. Right, so thank you very much for that. We really appreciate Presented that. Presented I know. So uh, he did all that on his site over at Cisco's blog at geekery thank you very much. He left us some great comments over on Firestorm fan. Uh, he went through the last issue with us. It was his favorite issue of all time. It went through literally character by character and gave us information. I like his uh commentary on dark side. He explains himself about Dawnstar Star and and demos and demon and Di- uh, dial I mean there's I I wish I could read everything he's written here actually because it's all relevant. You know, it's it's really great. Um, so Great feedback. Thank you, Sisko. Is there a particular thing you wanted to mention out of his group? Here? I
1: appreciate the fact Mom? that he supports me in my Doctor Light assessment and that it is unmentionable. To me the story of Doctor Light ends in Suicide Squad where he becomes hell's greatest loser.
0: Yep. He does agree with you there. <laughs> so uh, I like his stuff about uh, Dial H and talks about um, how we design the characters. That's why. Because I was just – I'm baffled by why this character – this this story is so popular that people still talk <laughs> about it. So. Um, thanks to Keith Samra for the comment over on Firestorm Fan. He came just came back with simply Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, praise, be, his praise be his name. So. Uh, Frank gave us a tremendous <laughs> amount of feedback. He actually – he doubled the alphabet. He went uh, <laughs> all through Z and then went on to double Qs. So, uh, anyway, and jokes that he's going to have a DC Secret Files and Origins podcast that will only be 38 seconds long per episode. So. <laughs> but definitely go out there. He's, he, he kind of did the same thing as Sisquit. He went through character by character and uh, talked quite a bit about different comparisons like Desaad and Emperor Palpatine, which cracks me up. And he up. does call us and, uh, uh,
1: stupid moron idiots for not mentioning that there was no Adventures of Superman comic in 1985. I
0: don't know where that comes from. I guess we said something you, you about said, that.
1: You, you, you said Adventures of Superman in 1985, and there was no that was before they relaunched the book. We were off by like a year. Like, good lord, Frank, really?
0: I totally don't remember that. I'll just go back and listen to it. Anyway, uh, and he talks about Despero, uh, or Despero, whatever. He even gets on my case about the way I pronounce it. But anyway, uh, and that's an important character to him because he runs, uh, you know, in December he runs the December of Despero. Anyway. He's also mad at Three. Dial Age
1: for Hero because that pushed his favorite character, Martian Manhunter, off the covers of...
0: <laughs> really? I mean, get over that. I mean, Martian Manhunter gets pushed around by everybody.
1: Ooh. Ooh. You like
0: that? You like
1: <laughs> uh, Speaking of Sean Corey, we got a comment from him on Firestone Fan. What? No Dr. Double D? And he mentioned on nice. Facebook, no mention of Captain Carrot in the end theme song. What the hell, guys? What the hell?
0: Yeah, I take that out with the Yeah, Anderson's I guess loud. not. It's
1: not us. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh, did I?
0: I got Keith Sammer in here twice, don't I?
1: Yes, but he had another comment.
0: He had another comment, so he <laughs> likes Dr. Fate. <laughs> yes, he does. So.
1: Uh, we got a comment from Earth2Chris left in the Aquaman Shrine. Great episode as usual, guys. This is special to me because I was 10 when this issue was published, and the Superpowers to was a huge deal to me. To have so many of the characters from the then-hitting Series 2 in this issue gave me a lot of backstory on guys like Darkseid and Decide, who I only previously knew from the JLA-JSA New Gods crossover in the early 80s. Dr. Fate is and was one of my favorite JSA characters. I was also quite fond of Dr. Midnight. I will agree with you and say that Matt, Wag- Matt Wagner's portrayal of Doc here really brought out the character's inherent cool factor, although the great Jerry did a nice job with him over at All-Star Squadron as well. Absolutely agree with that, Chris. Um, also got another comment from Anthony D'Urso, a.k.a. The Toy Room, on the Aquaman Shrine. He said on Facebook, So many doctors in this issue, but I bet not one of them makes house calls. bum bum Uh... <laughs> Um, Dark Destroyer, Atari Force was a fun read for me back in the day, although I feel like it lost some of the magic when GLGL praise be his name, left the art and was replaced <laughs> by Ed But It counts even when you're doing in the initials. Detective Chimp, Infantino always had anything for primates, didn't he? <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. And then Doctor Cult, Doctor Occult's custom appearance and more fun has long been considered an early Superman prototype from sequel in Schuster. Thanks very much. Um, and we've got another comment from Aaron, a.k.a. the Ghost to Blogs, on the Aquaman Shrine. He also gives us the thing about Dr. Colt's uniform and mentions that he was beaten in costume Durum by the Phantom in, in February 1936, beating Dr. Colt by a couple of months. Um, he also said Detective Chimp deserves a two-page spread.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Are we uh, – can we go back to Anthony Durso? Oh, sorry. Me? Sorry, yes. No, it's okay. He, he went through um, line by line also and uh, talked about um, – kind of talked about each – entry that we did as well. I, um, by the way, there's a whole lot of love for Dart uh, throughout all the comments. It seems like everyone pretty much has the hots for Dart, I think. Or thinks she's a great character, so thank you guys for that support there. But he goes in uh, he, he points out to me, I said Dawnstar wasn't around later, but I forgot, yes, she was in the five years later Legion uh, and gone by the name Bounty. Totally forgot about that. And there's a lot of talk again about Dial Age. Everyone seems to talk about Dial
1: Age too. People I'm kind of angry about it though.
0: Well, it's it, there's dilated a lot of talk, and the Doctor Cold thing, where um, you know he disappeared for a long yes. time, and they, there's a lot of, lot of lot of strong feelings there. So, and apparently Composite Superman has to be mentioned again. <laughs>
1: God.
0: I think I made it very clear, folks, in previous listener feedback. Composite Superman will not endear you to us.
1: No, no, it's not going to so, work. It's not like Calendar Man.
0: Exactly. Uh, thanks to Michael Bailey, who um, took the time to point out I um, was wrong about something. Thanks yeah, for that, Mike. Mike great. Uh, <laughs> let's see Carlos Mucho really dug the Dead Man entry the art in the Dead Man entry Got it, not lying boy that stuff's awesome uh, Greg Arugo who's also one of our experts on DC history pointed out yes Don Sor did show up as bounty in the later legions Joe Slab gave us tons of support over on Twitter Luke Dobbs said he thought that that most recent issue might be just the best one yet however I think that um, he this is me speaking now he was ragingly sick at the time so I think he was probably delirious so And also took a shot with mentioning Composite Superman. Again, thanks so much for that. Um, Bradley Null, this cracks me up. Okay. He was listening and loving our Who's Who podcast on fire and water. I found your comments on Dial for H, uh, Dial H for Hero to be strange, and that Dial H has been a little-known DC concept that I have to explain to people. When doing so at one point about a year ago, I was told, quote, you are like those two guys who defend Aquaman and the Firehead guy. There you go.
1: <laughs> Which is actually how he found us, from someone making that comment. So apparently we have a rep, Rob. I, I like it. I mean, I don't think we have to defend Firestorm or Aquaman, but uh, okay, I'll take it.
0: I just think that's funny. Uh, Mike Gillis over on Facebook mentioned, uh, I had said Deimos uh, talked about um, rocking that Freddie Mercury outfit. And uh, he pointed out that not even Demos can rock a unitard like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> so. Oscar Oled, Ola- I can never say it. it. Anyway, gave a support over on Google+. Plus, and on Facebook, yeah. he loves his D-list characters. He, loves his he D- can with a your so.
1: hero, too. He yep.
0: says he loves his D-list characters. In his heart, they're a solid B-minus. So... <laughs> Uh, Randy Caldwell gave us support over on Twitter and Google+. Plus, and uh, he says we need to check out some of the James Sherman uh, Legion. He says the uh, first two parts of the Earth War saga were beyond beautiful. So it might be worth it. And he listened all the way to the end of listener feedback, by the way. Good yes, for him. very good. Hector Negrete gave us feedback over at Google+. Plus and Twitter. or I'm sorry, Tumblr. Thank you for that. Roger Preeb uh, was excited. He said, I, I can't wait to see how you guys... Uh, how you bullies put the boots to Frank this time. Uh, well, this time we did it by not reading his comments. <laughs> even though, again, I really wish I could have. Thanks to uh, Tower of Fate for comments over on Twitter. Luke, Luke Ciaconetti gave us shouts over on Twitter, Google+, the Unique Geek Serve, and Firestorm Fan. So he's all over the place. He apparently took a liking to the Demolition team. So, I mean, really, who doesn't, though? So And um, gave us a very nice recommendation on the Unique Geek Serve. And uh, let's see what else. He he's got a thing for Darkseid. He bought the Darkseid hot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <or something. laughs> That's I love it. he says. There's something unspeakably hilarious about Darkseid driving a big van. As I said on Google Plus, I can just imagine Frank Welker doing his Darker voice and growling, "Desaad Kellabak, get in the van." <laughs> oh jeez, Desaad Kellabak. Look at that. You Thank pulled you. it right out of your pocket. Very good. Um, <laughs>
0: That's one of my, my only ability. I'm done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we got little Russell Burbage from Sacramento, California. Um, how did you know the cover is by Paris Collins? Clean living, my friend. Clean living. Um, I strongly <laughs> disagree that the Dr. Fate pick is good. Shag. Fighting words. I think it's another weak one. The figure itself is too small. The tower and whatever else that is on the right is boring. Plus too much shading with Dr. Fate itself. And why are his feet glowing?
0: Well, you know, here's the interesting thing. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. It just so happens that Russell's wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I'm not going – yeah. I'm I'm kind of like halfway between both. Mostly on Shag's side on that one. I think Russell would be a little too harsh.
0: It's freaking Keith Given. It's like – it's almost impressionistic. You just go with it.
1: There you go, Russell. Uh, I do agree with you about Dr. Midnight, though. (laughs) Best pick in the book, hands down. You'd have to be blind to think otherwise. Good one. Thank you. Oh, I just got that. Oh. We also got –
0: we got, By the yes. way, we, we, I should have mentioned throughout this. There's there a lot of comments too about. I made some comments about how I wasn't real impressed with the demon artwork here. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Siskoid and Frank and other people comment on this, and, and, and they all kind of agree with me actually. Uh, one of the things they point out is that there's no way he's six foot four, the way he's right. drawn. Yeah,
1: he's drawn very short and squat there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the name I was trying to come up with was Valsemechus. That's, oh, that's that's the right. demon that yes, yes, I yes. that's the demon I yep. liked. But. So you started oh, to say saying, we, yes, got, we got Facebook
1: support and Twitter support from Keith G. Baker, Alexander Adrock. I love that name, Alexander Adrock. Uh, Andy Kapelish, FKA Podcast. And, yes?
0: Before we jump into the next, I do want to mention that we got a nice plug over on the tcgamesandmore.net site. Uh, they, back in November, uh, found out about our Who's Who podcast and gave us a very nice shout-out. So thank you for that, tcgamesandmore.net. Yes,
1: that was very nice. Uh, on Facebook, we got other support from Miguel Angel Galliana Ramirez. David J. Dixon, Michael Bradley, Christopher J. Warden, Giancarlo Nurco, John Godwin, Marcos Areneda, Charles Bernard, Jeffrey D. Barrett, Sean M. Myers, Tim Wallace, Chester Aguar, Dustin Stolper, J.D. Cook, J. David Weeder, and Thomas Oswald.
0: Over on Tumblr, we got support from Daniel HDR, who is an artist for DC who actually drew some Firestorm issues, nice. so thank you for that. We also got Arlo Pierre, uh, who has the yet another useless Tumblr. Over on Twitter, we got support from Ron Randall, uh, also an, another DC Comics artist who drew the Dr. Lake number two. Uh, picture in the last one. That's great. Thanks for that. Also, thanks to Wastoid at Mythmaking, etc. Thanks to Tony D at Tony D P Y T. Thank you to Rihanna at Rihanna. Pilemon uh, at the same. Paul Bowler at the same. Mike, who is also Mike on Twitter. Um, Bashy New Year at Dr. Bashir. I like that. Funny spelling. Ken Hummel at A- APK, Alex P. Keaton Lunchbox. I dig that. <laughs> Corey Hodgson at Higher Rock. Bradley Lever at B Lever03. Barry Reese at Barry Reese Pulp. Longbox Review at the same. David Morgan at Blue Lantern o2 Rory Grody Quest Rory Roro's Grody Quest at Beta Ray Bob. Uh iGlobalcast.com at the same. Matt Santori Griffith at PhotoCub. And uh, he did say though, even though they irrationally like Composite Superman, it's one of my who's one of his all time favorite childhoods, he does love the Who's Who podcast. We
1: had a quarter fo- for every Composite Superman. Match.
0: Jeez, O.P. And, folks, it's now time for the illustrious Yellow Dot Award, which is a prestigious award we give out to folks who have gone above and beyond in their Who's Who podcast, uh, either promotion or love. And uh, it's, it is a, a Yellow Dot Award is as tangible as a yellow dot on a piece of paper. So, Rob, our Yellow Dot Award this time goes to...
1: Do the want uh, to do a drum roll? Siskoid. Yeah, Siskoid. Good job, Siskoid. Thank you for your... Your uh, yellow dot award will be in the mail momentarily. It'll probably take a little while to get all the way up to Canada.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. And it might get lost so. in the mail
1: as if it was never sent. So, <laughs> don't trust the U.S. Post Office or the Canadian Post Office or whatever crazy mounty thing you got going on up there.
0: And he wins that for going above and beyond and all his feedback on all of the Who's Who episodes. He just He's such a wealth of knowledge about really obscure stuff. As my mother would say, uh, congratulations, you have a very trivial mind. <laughs> so. Folks, that's going to do it for the Who's Who podcast. Uh, Next episode, it will be in about a month.
1: Come back where we cover
0: Firestorm. I wonder why we'll even um, go
1: go on past that because Shag's enthusiasm will quickly dim.
0: I... Wasn't planning to talk about any other characters.
1: <laughs> Green Lantern. So, uh, well, oh, Firehawk.
0: So Firehawk. But anyway, so uh, you can find us at FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.com. You can find us both on Facebook and Twitter at the same. Also, you can find us, uh, FirestormFan, on Google Plus and
1: Tumblr. And Rob, tell the folks at home how they can email us and what our Tumblr site is. The Tumblr site going uh, backwards is uh, FireAndWaterPodcast.tumblr.com. The email is Firewaterpodcast@comcast.net. at comcast.net.
0: Remember, folks, go out to that Tumblr site. We are going to post probably ten pages or so from this issue of Who's Who, and I promise you Dolphin will be up there.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's no doubt about that in my mind.
0: <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
1: Superman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman,
0: 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning, Lass
1: and Hippolyta, Phantom, Stranger, Ettrick, and, Arisia and Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What?
0: What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Aw, man. We forgot Slipknot.